I'm Alec Lace. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Welcome, everybody, to a special edition of First Class Fatherhood. I am happy, as always, to be here with you. Thank you for stopping by. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, please get over there and bang that subscribe button. You do not want to miss all the action that's coming your way right here on First Class Fatherhood. All right, dads, it is Frogman Friday, and here we go for the top five most downloaded Navy SEAL episodes of 2019. I have been extremely honored to have the opportunity to speak with so many frogmen about fatherhood and family life this year. These men are on another level of mindset and philosophy. Guys such as Jason Redman, who I had on just recently for the second time on the podcast here, and I know him personally. He has had such a major impact on my life. And one of my favorite or most humbling interviews that I did in 2019 was when I spoke with Larry Brown, who is the Gold Star dad of SEAL Team 6 legend Adam Brown. Larry joined me here for a Memorial Day episode, and it was just a straight-up honor for me to have him on the podcast. And speaking of legends, also this year, I had the honor of speaking with Vietnam Medal of Honor recipient Michael Thornton on the podcast and so many more. So if you guys missed any of my Navy SEAL Frogman Friday episodes this year, please be sure to go through the archives and check them all out. One thing that is very encouraging is that the former SEALs are now stepping into the political arena. The President of the United States was just impeached this week, and Washington, D.C. is just a total mess filled with career politicians who are just failing America. I'm waiting for Dan Crenshaw to bang out a kid so I can get him on the podcast here. Hopefully Dan gets busy in 2020. Two of the SEALs that I interviewed this year are currently running for office, Floyd McLendon and Scott Taylor. I wish them both the best of luck. But as far as today's list is concerned, here we go for the top five most downloaded Navy SEAL dad interviews of 2019. And we kick it off at number five with Jason Gardner, who read an open letter to his daughter during our interview. And it was so cool. Jason is a recipient of the Silver Star, two Bronze Stars, the Purple Heart, and several other awards. Jason retired after nearly three decades with the teams as a Command Master Chief. You will hear from him first up at number five, Jason Gardner. Number four is Jeff Nichols, who served multiple combat tours. He is now a tactical strength and conditioning facilitator who helps prepare candidates for careers in law enforcement, military, and pro sports. Jeff and I had such an incredible conversation about fatherhood. Here he is at number four, Jeff Nichols. Number three is Ed Byers, who received the Congressional Medal of Honor for his heroic actions during a hostage rescue mission in Afghanistan as a member of the elite Naval Special Warfare Development Group, or DEVGRU. During our interview, Ed raved about his talented daughter who was just smashing the figure skating game. Ed is as badass as they come, and it was a tremendous honor for me to have him on the podcast. So here he is at number three, Ed Byers. Number two is Marcus Luttrell, who joined me on the podcast along with his wife, Melanie. Marcus is, of course, the lone survivor of Operation Red Wings that was played by Mark Wahlberg in the major motion picture, Lone Survivor. Marcus and Melanie are first-class parents, and we had just an awesome conversation about family life. Marcus also talked about his role as a father figure to Melanie's son from a previous relationship. So much more. What an honor it was to have Marcus Luttrell on First Class Fatherhood. Here he is on the list at number two. And number one is Eddie Penny, who served with both the United States Marines and the Navy SEALs. Eddie was also a member of that elite DEVGRU, or SEAL Team 6 unit. He spoke about the unique situation of being a SEAL Team 6 operator while gaining full custody of his children as a single dad. Eddie also spoke about his faith and so much more. He reposted our interview on his Instagram page, and his followers are pretty loyal because the downloads just exploded. I couldn't be happier to know that so many people heard our conversation because it was a great one. So you will hear from Eddie Penny at number one. 
So there it is. I hope you enjoyed today's collection. And please take a look through the list of all the Navy SEALs who have joined me here on the podcast. There are over 40 of them. Each one is a banger. They are my most popular interviews of the podcast, and rightfully so. And as always, please help me to spread the word about this podcast to any father in your neighborhood or in your contact list. Let them know about the show that celebrates fatherhood and family life. Fatherhood rocks. Family values rule. And every day is Father's Day right here with me. And I'm going to be right back with the top five most downloaded Navy SEAL dad interviews of 2019. I'm Alec Lace, and you're listening to First Class Fatherhood. All right, and joining me now is a first class father. He is a combat veteran, a retired Navy SEAL Master Chief. He is the recipient of the Silver Star, two Bronze Stars, a Purple Heart, and many other awards. It is a huge honor for me to say, Jason Gardner, welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Hey, thanks for having me, Alec. All right, let's start here. How many kids do you have, and how old are they? I've got three kids. Uh, my oldest son is uh, 23 years old, and then I, and he's from a previous marriage, and then I've got an eight-year-old daughter and a seven-year-old son. Wow, okay, very cool. What type of uh, sports or activities you got them into? So, well, this boy played a lot of basketball, and then we're, we're really big into the outdoors, so horseback riding, hunting, and fishing. And then uh, my my daughter and my son, Storm and Thor, are just kind of coming up into all that. Uh, playing some basketball a little bit at school, and then, um, you know, we're getting them into anything that they're interested to do. We're kind of limited in the scope of sports that are available because we live in a real rural area, but we definitely do horseback riding and camping and fishing, and then they, they come along hunting. They're going to start hunting next year. Wow, yeah, that's very cool. All right, Jason, here, please take a minute just to hit my listeners with a little bit about your background and what you do. I am a retired SEAL Master Chief. I did 30 years in the SEAL teams. I've got nine deployments, five of which were combat deployments spanning everything from the first Gulf War all the way up to uh, Iraq, take three basically for my career when I was there in 2016 and 17 for clearing a Mosul from uh, ISIL or Daesh, you know, getting the Islamic State out of there. And uh, now I work for Echelon Front. Jocko and Leif wrote those books, Extreme Ownership and um, Dichotomy of Leadership. And I go around speaking as a leadership consultant to uh, different organizations right now. And so that's what I'm doing since I've retired from the military. Yeah, wow, what an incredible career you've had, and, and thank you for your service, of course. And, and how old were you when you first became a father, Jason, and how did becoming a dad kind of change your perspective on life? Uh, my son was like, uh, I was 25 when my son was born. And, you know, when it changed your perspective because now you're just, it's not just you, right? You're responsible for somebody else, and that... Uh, that's a that's a huge responsibility, as anybody who's a father knows. But it also comes with a, a, a huge amount of reward because I get to experience things vicariously through them. So you know, their first time doing anything is so exciting. Whereas doing whatever it could be, whether it's uh, you know reading a book or or their first time, you know, going to an amusement park or anything, which has just kind of gotten boring and old, is I find that, that I get to relive the experience through their eyes, and it's that aspect of it is super rewarding. 
Yeah, very well said. And I heard you on Jocko's podcast there reading. You had the open letter to your daughter, which I thought was beautiful uh-huh. and powerful at the same time there. What was the genesis of you writing the, the letter, and if you could share it with us? Okay. So basically, I've been thinking for a while, had been thinking for a while about what my general philosophy was on raising my daughter as opposed to raising my sons. And really, I think we've kind of missed the mark sometimes in, in, in general with how we raise little girls. And um, you, you want to raise any kid. And, and so the bottom line is I've come to the conclusion that there really shouldn't be much difference in how you raise your daughter and how you raise your, your sons. The, the, you, the end state is I want to raise a competent adult, right? And I want to raise a competent adult that is uh, not feeling a lot of shame, is happy and fulfilled, you know, and, and can go out there and function on their own. And so in, in order to do that, uh, there's a, a lot of things that, that I need to step back from as a parent and let them fight those battles on their own. And so here, here's here's what I came up with, and, and basically I've been thinking about it for a, a while, and then in the parking lot of Costco, I'm like, hey, you know what? I, one afternoon I, I wrote it all down, and uh, here's, here's what it is. But uh, a promise to my daughter, I will love you unconditionally, always, no matter what. I will not pamper you. This will forge a resilience that will help you conquer all of life's obstacles. I do not intend to raise a princess, but rather a warrior with fire in her heart and ice in her veins. In my mind, there is nothing you can't do, no job or goal beyond your reach. I will challenge you so that when you stand, so that you can stand confidently on your own two feet, independent and strong. I will set the example on how to treat those you love so that when you choose a partner, it will be someone who lifts you up. And I will invest my time and energy in you so that when I am gone, enough memories of me will be with you in your heart to keep forever. Stand tall with your shoulders back. This world is yours for the taking. And I have a heart at the end. And Yeah. But go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I can't tell you how awesome that is for me to hear. I, I have four children myself. I had three boys and then got my girl uh, on the fourth try. And it has been just just the emotional part of the of the switch that has occurred here has been, uh, you know, a little bit uh, challenging for me to catch up with. And, uh, and, and we definitely need more philosophies like yours here on raising our daughters. And I think that's very beneficial to everybody that, that gets a chance to hear it. Yeah, I mean – so, so what I was really, what I'm hoping to do is, A, I want to set a good example for her so that when she goes and has her own relationships, there'll be positive relationships and she's not going to tolerate anybody, uh, you know, treating her with disrespect or incorrectly or, or in a harmful manner because that's the example that she's seen me lay out between me and my wife. This, at its core, this is about decentralized command where I'm getting, you know, and, and right there I'm stealing one of, of uh, Leif and Jocko's laws of combat. But I want her to make squared away decisions when I'm not around. I want her to be able to take care of herself. I want her to be able to change a tire. 
I want her to be able to change the oil if that's what she wants to do. And I don't want her to have to be dependent on anyone else. And then that will set her up for success to be in in the best relationships or whatever she wants to do moving forward as an adult. Yeah, very well said. And I, and you speak about changing your time. I actually gave a class at the local library here for the teenagers that were getting their licenses on how to change because it's it's amazing to me how many of the young teenagers that are getting their license have no idea how to do basic car maintenance. So uh, it's just little things like that. And I think I speak about it quite a bit on the podcast. We have such a fatherless crisis in our country right now, and we see the devastating results in our society from children that are growing up with no uh, father influence in their life. Right. And, and so to all those single mothers out there, because guys aren't taking their responsibility and stepping up and helping them out, you you can fill this role too. You should learn how to change a tire and fill in that gap because it, it it can be done and it needs to be done because, like you said, the two parent household is becoming um, the exception and not the norm, or or we're trending in that direction. And and, and raising kids is hard. It takes two people. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I know that you you help so many people now. You're with the Echelon Front. You help so many people in the business world to become leaders. Is it challenging for you uh, to kind of differentiate uh, teaching leadership to civilians as opposed to it was to sailors and then completely switching that to leading your kids? No, it's all the same thing. I've recognized that parenting is just leadership, and that actually helped me as a parent and then helped me when I was in the executive levels of leadership um, as a SEAL, you know, when I was a command master chief of SEAL Team 5 or a command master chief of our training detachment and I, I, I had this epiphany, and it was about seven years ago, and I'm like, this is, I'm parenting. And people are looking for me to, to mentor them, really. Parenting is nothing more than mentorship. So it's all the same. Uh, it's, it's super rewarding to be out now talking in the civilian sector, because usually when someone comes and asks me to speak, they're really fired up about the message. Whereas um, when I was in the military, you know, people weren't asking. They just had to be in the class, you know. So there, there's a buy-in that's really exciting. And there's an aspect of American culture that I get to see that uh, I, I think we're, we're, by the people I meet every day, uh, I think we're doing just fine as a country that there's just so many good people out there that are working so hard and they have the right ideas and ideals that uh, it's, 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 I, I, I'm super appreciative of the job I have and it's, it's a lot of fun to do it. Yeah, and, and because of guys like you uh, and a lot of the, the veterans that have become involved in this, I'm very optimistic for our country here and the direction it's going. Unfortunately, it doesn't seem to get a lot of the play and the airtime on social media just because it doesn't, it's not really clickbait when something good is happening. So that's uh, another reason of me putting out the message of just celebrating fatherhood and family life and trying to give people the idea that it's uh, something to ab- in, uh, you know, embrace and not something to avoid. You're, oh, you're absolutely right, and this is why I've quit watching the news because uh, fundamentally the, the media gets ratings by putting out stuff that is inflammatory because – we're hardwired genetically by by uh, um, 
to look at something that's a threat. So when they say, oh, this, this is going on or this crisis is going on, then that's clickbait. You look at it, it gets some ratings. Then all they're doing is jamming you full of bad information, and I've just ignored it. I don't care anymore. Yeah, and I'm, I, I, I'm paying attention to what I see with my two eyes out there. Yeah, I got a chance to see it firsthand. I just recently I had a, a, a press pass for the White House for a full week, and I spent it with all the big media people. And I was just, it was really eye-opening to see behind the scenes what takes place there. So, uh, and I never had any social, I never had any social media accounts before I started the podcast, and it's just, uh, it's just vicious. It's just vicious, to be honest with you. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that you just have to ignore it and move forward in a positive manner and that that uh that takes a lot of practice to be able to detach from that stuff but uh i i am optimistic for the direction our country is going i'm optimistic for our youth um because the young men and women that i've seen serving overseas uh in harm's way with lousy pay under terrible conditions just working hard without complaining then uh i i think we're good to go I, and it, but I'll preface that with there's always room for improvement, right? We can always do better. But I, I think the, the direction that we're moving, I think we're good. And, and it's, you know, you have a podcast that talks about parenting. There, and, and there's several of others like them, and the ratings are great. And just the fact that there's that hunger for it out there is, is a positive sign. Yeah, well said, 100%. And all right, I know that 30 years as a Navy SEAL, I, I would only imagine that you're a very well-disciplined individual, but how are you when it comes to being a disciplinarian as a father? Are you a spanker, timeout guy? How do you kind of handle discipline? Um, so not, I'm not really a spanker. Uh, I, I search around for what is, I think, the most effective thing for the kids. So for my daughter, the timeout seems to work the best. For my son, a lecture seems to work, and then I just kind of tailor it for what seems to be to work. And then consistency is is the key, and I try to be consistent. I'm not consistent all the time, but that's that's basically what I'm shooting for because I know that they're always testing their boundaries, and if I keep the boundaries in the same place, then they kind of understand them better and they don't, they're not going to push against them as much. So the, the, the other thing I've been doing lately is trying not to yell at them because I don't want them to think that, you know, hey, screaming and yelling is a good option. So, so sometimes it's just necessary, right? Sometimes when they get out of the car and they run into traffic, you got to yell at them. Or sometimes when you got to yell at them like, hey, put your brother down or put down the cat. But, uh, there's a lot of times when I'll holler at him, and it's not necessary for me to holler at him. And I find that if I speak to him in this manner and I say something to him like, okay, listen, what you're doing right now is not good, and it is not going to result in anything that you're going to like, and I'm not going to tolerate. So I need you to tighten this up, you know? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's definitely been an on-the-job training for me. My oldest is 13, and it's taken quite a while to kind of adapt and change my own philosophy of parenting. And, and all, all four of my kids respond differently uh, to different styles of discipline. There's one kid that you spank, so he'll never do it again. There's another kid you can spank them all day long, and ain't going to stop them. So they all they all respond differently. Yeah. yeah, and it's like that with leadership. Every individual requires a different style of leadership. And... Uh, and so you just got to kind of search around and find out what's effective. 
All right, well, what do you got coming up here? What type of goals or plans do you have for the future? Are you going to be involved with uh, Jocko and Leif in the next book that they're writing, or what, what kind of goals you got going on? Uh, I, I don't have any involvement in any books right now. Uh, my wife is getting ready to write, or she has a book that's in the editing process. And uh, basically, I'm just doing the leadership consulting thing and uh, uh, doing some podcast appearances and just talking about some of these things that I think are important, and they seem to be resonating with a lot of people. So that's a great thing. Yeah, very cool. All right, one more thing I'm going to hit you with here, Jason. I love to ask all the dads that I get on the podcast, what type of advice do you have for that new dad or for that about-to-be father who's out there listening? Get advice from other dads. So you're you're going into uncharted territory, and you're going to need to talk to some other dads and figure out what's going on, and then you're you're also going to have to learn how to work together with mom, um, so that you guys are coming from this leadership portion on a united front. And some hills aren't worth dying on. So if you have too big a, a disagreement with mom, it's better that you guys are in alignment in how you discipline and raise the kids than if you're doing different things. And so check your ego, open up those lines of communication, and congratulations. There is no bigger gift that you can have than being a father. Yeah, very well said. I love the message. This has been an honor for me. i got to say, Jason Gardner, you're a first-class father, and thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time on First Class Fatherhood. It was a real privilege for you to have me on. Thanks, Al. Nothing beats an American flag made in the USA, right? Well, how about an American flag made in the USA by veterans out of duty-worn fatigues from all branches of the military? That is exactly what you get with Combat Flags. Combat Flags are handcrafted from duty-worn fatigues and offer a tangible piece of freedom to the American people. Each flag is accompanied by a professionally designed and printed card that tells the story of service of a soldier, marine, airman, sailor, or coastie who wore the fatigues used to make the flag. They are the real deal, Dad, so what are you waiting for? Visit CombatFlags.com and use the promo code FATHER, and First Class Fatherhood listeners will save 10% off their purchase. Veteran-owned, American-made. CombatFlags.com, promo code FATHER. Uh, joining me now, First Class Father Jeff Nichols. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. I appreciate you having me. All right, let's start here. How many kids do you have and how old are they? I have one son. He's uh, 12 years old, going on, I think, 35 is pretty much how acting. Yeah, I got four myself. My oldest is 12, and he's about to be a teenager next month, so we're bracing for impact over here. <laughs> yeah, I'm prepping as well. <laughs> Um, what type of sports or activities is he into? You know, he's a – it's kind of cyclic. He's in that timeline where, like, every kid is into video games and that social aspect. But growing up, it was a little bit of everything, just like I was. Uh, but more so, he's kind of more on, like, the non-traditional sports side, like rock climbing, snowboarding, skiing, uh, th those sort of winter activities. I'm not sure that's – because he was born in Colorado, lives in Virginia here with me, but – he tends to like some of those non-traditional sports better. Okay, very cool. Uh, Jeff, please, just take a minute here to hit my listeners with a little bit about your background and what you do. All right, let's see here. Uh, in no particular order, right? Grew up in a small town in Iowa. I went, to, went away to college, played baseball in college. 
uh, ended up in Alabama at Troy University, played baseball there under scholarship, and stayed on as a strength coach for a couple years. So that puts you to timeline about 2003 when I joined the Navy, spent 11 years in the Navy, um, all of which was pretty much in the, in the SEAL teams other, other than, like, obviously the points in getting through selection stuff. So been out, I've been out since 2013, and I went back to teaching. So, like, I'm, I'm, my, I got my degree in exercise physiology. So ten, essentially I'm an exercise physiologist uh, with an interesting background in, in the military. Yeah, very cool. And, and when did fatherhood come into the picture here for you, Jeff? Were you serving at the time? Like, how old were you when you were a dad? And how did becoming a father kind of change your perspective on life? Yeah, it certainly did. I was I was in the in the teams at the time. I was it was in between my first and second deployment. It, it wasn't a planned pregnancy. Uh, that doesn't mean it wasn't a wanted pregnancy. It's just to give people just an idea of this like ha ah, surprise kind of thing. And in and in between. Uh, to deployments, I guess, when we found out. My son was actually born uh, about four months remaining into my second deployment. So I came home for that, actually. I was home for three weeks for my son's birth and went back to deployment, finished out the last six weeks of it. And then uh, I guess, you know, long story short, you know, he, he's, he's been through a lot of those deployments, but he was pretty young for most of them. So he doesn't remember many of them, actually. Did uh, having your son and becoming a father, did that play into the fact of you uh, leaving the Navy earlier than maybe you would have it, 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 not being a dad? No, it certainly did. You know, I, I think it's a, you know, without getting super long with it, 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 it certainly contributed in large part to me getting out. And I think that was, I guess, very congruent with, with what, what your podcast is about. My father and mother were, were always there for me, like every sporting event that they could, you know, within reason. And my son being now in middle school, 6th, 7th, and 8th grade, where to me, and you mentioned sports, sports was such a such an amazing creative outlet for me as a child, and that's what I'm hoping for my son. You know, it may not be sports, you know, he loves the dancing, those sort of things, so I'm going to support, support that creativity side and not really what sport is. So, you know, bringing the big ship around is, that's what my parents were able to do for me. So I got out because I really want to be there, especially right now, um, for my son to really support that creative timeline that he's in. Yeah, and that's one of the cool things about fatherhood, Jeff, too, is it kind of puts us a little bit out of our comfort zone. Like for me, my oldest son, he became interested in chess at an early age, and I never knew anything about chess or ever played it. So I, you know, I started to learn, and now I love playing it. All my kids play it, and it's something that I never would have thought of you know, had I not been a father, so. Right, it's interesting because it's like I, I'm trying to look at the world through, like, these actually subjective eyes with my son where his grades are amazing. He's, he has already been registered with a very high IQ. His behavior in school is good. My point is, is, you know, I think we're very quick to say video games are terrible. But I'm looking at it going, okay, well, he wants his ultimate goal is to be a pilot, a fighter pilot. He wants to buy Raptors. And I'm looking at it going, well, how, how is it that we develop the neurological development to, to a degree outside of physical activity and classroom stuff? Well, I'm looking at video games going, well, it's essentially it's a simulator. So I'm trying to figure out how do I support this technological advancement for our kids right now, but also still get them off the, off the couch and, and being active. So I'm currently struggling with that a little bit. 
Yeah, and you know what? That's one question I wanted to ask you too, Jeff, is because I know that you train and prepare people for like high-risk careers like military and police and stuff like that. And I can kind of understand how that works physically, but how do you kind of really prepare young men and women for the mental stress of being like shot out or being in a combat situation or even having, you know, loved ones die around you in action? How do you kind of uh, prepare for the reality of that? Well, I think that it's a perspective there's a bit of a shift that has to happen for people like that is that understand that like if you look at sport or you look at the tactical population, what's, what's visibly seen in the media, it's the home runs, the touchdowns, the catastrophes. It's, it's the, it's the crescendos and the climaxes of life. And, but that's not how we develop these things, right? How do we learn to walk? We do it very, in a, hopefully in a very safe manner with our loving parents around us, you know, facilitating that, that walking, like learning anything. It's like we don't, we don't start with calculus. We learn basic, basic, basic mathematics. And so because the visual is like, well, I want, I want the end state. I want to be a Bryce Harper. I want to be a Navy SEAL. Well, the process, people, we, we've, we've, we've basically underemphasized the necessity of a great process now, now, because again, the focal point is the end state. So for me, to answer your question directly is that I put a lot of focus on the process and not the end state because if we can use BUDS as an example, it's a guarantee that the people that show up to that course, there's a guarantee that some will graduate and that process of BUDS will create a seal. So it doesn't just snap the fingers, right? There's a long process even before that to physically prepare. So again, my, my very long answer is, you know, process and formulating a process and stop looking at the end state. Yeah, very well said. And, and we know that with buds, the attrition rate is very, it's crazy high, but also unfortunately what's getting high is the marriage, the divorce rate. And, um, you know, fatherless households, that rate is rising tremendously in our country and creating a lot of problems. And I wonder, is that just people, you know, quitting at the first sign of real trouble in marriage and through fatherhood? And can we apply that sort of never quit mindset to marriage and family? Wow. <laughs> I mean, that's, I think for me, the answer, the solution, or whatever you want to call it to that sort of, I agree, it's, it's a bit of a pandemic. And that's not a point of judgment because I was equally as guilty with whether it's, you know, being a terrible husband and those sort of things as well. Guilty. Like, I'm not throwing any stones in my glass house. But I, I, I agree. And, and the only thing that I can say about that where I feel like where's my point of impact is I think that subjective behavior is always considered to be, you know, vulnerability. And vulnerability is considered to be weak. And I, and I think that that's, that's a twist that we need to start looking at. We go, now, granted, in the, you know, the objective nature of making critical decisions when life matters, like we don't want to take away that objective component, right? We don't want to train that objective component. But we have to understand when it comes to health, right, emotional health, physical health, those are all subjective components, right? Love, patience, kindness, creativity, those are all subjective. And it's very strange because, like, there's this amazing creative subjective component of our military, adapt and overcome, mental toughness, all these sort of things that, that manifest themselves. 
and and I, I guess you know getting off my spot just for a second. I think that we have to be okay with making mistakes and saying, "Hey, I've made made a mistake," and then because it seems to me now we're in a place where if someone changes their mind, you're a hypocrite. Where it's like, no, 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 I've changed my mind. That's growth, not hypocrisy. But if we're always in a state of changing our mind and constantly changing our mind, yes, that's hypocrisy. But I think that that's what a lot of people are afraid of, and even a relationship is like, I'm changing. After all these years of stress in the military, I'm changing, I'm changing, and I'm afraid to express that to my spouse. And and I think that that's just the, you know, that, that's a point of control that, a lot of us, me in particular, I have and had a hard time giving up that control because I feel vulnerable and I felt weak. Yeah, very well said. And with that, not wanting to fail so much, I guess, I know that our technology with social media, just I never was on social media until I started this podcast a year ago. And just from being on there, it is everyone showing the best side of them or pretending that they're living this lifestyle that doesn't exist. And I think that intimidates a lot of people. And now you're in the same boat as me as far as, uh, you know, we a 12-year-old just about to be a teenager. How do you monitor the technology with your son? Does, does he have any social media accounts yet, or how do you kind of watch him with all the technology? You know, he, does, he doesn't have uh, any social media accounts outside. Like, he's got, like, an Xbox Live account. It's linked to my stuff so I can see what he's doing. You know, I, I know him. It, it, I'm right at that critical point over the next couple of years, too, where he's Year, year two where he's going to want these social media accounts. And so for me, uh, I have a, I would consider, and most people might agree once you get to know me, I have a very interesting relationship with my son, very unique. And I mean this to the literal sense. There are zero secrets between my son and I. Like there are none. And that's just something that I live by completely. Um, I think that communication is what is what's most important between my son and I, and we do that. So going going forward, I will, you know, compromise with with allowing him to do these things. But if he deceives me, it goes away. That's my rule. Yeah, that's a strong stance. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, one of the things that scares me the most about this is just the, the pornography that's available now to these kids. I mean, don't get me wrong, I understand I was there. I was curious. I, w I, I took part in it. But when I was doing it, it was the Playboy magazine. And one kid had that in school. He was the man. Everybody hovered around that kid to get a peek. But today, uh, so much I could do is to monitor his phone and devices. But once he gets into the school, all it takes is one kid to have an unlocked phone or an unmonitored device and just a simple Google search. And he could be exposed to these, you know, really sexually explicit acts that could kind of be terrifying if you've never seen even a naked woman before. No, I totally agree. And that's, that is right at that, that age group, too, where we've begun to have that conversation about um, about those topics. And my introduction to my son was this. was like I was like, okay, because, you know, the, net, the note came home from school at sixth grade saying, hey, the school system is going to begin having talks over the next couple of days on these topics. If you, you know, agree to them, sign it, send it back to your son or daughter or whatever. So I did that. He came home, and I was like, all right, let's sit down and talk about everything you talked about. I was like, because... The last thing I want to do is to to just assume, I, I, and I mean this out of respect and love for the school system. I can't assume that the school is going to deliver the information that I that I want to in full. So we basically did a little bit of review. 
And then we talked about it. It made him embarrassed, and it made him embarrassed. And I said, all right, here's the deal. I said, so, I go, when you're not embarrassed about this topic, I said, you know, then, then, you know, then and then you're ready maybe to have sex. I said, when you're able to walk into a Walgreens or a CVS, and I said, you're able to stand there in front of a total stranger, male or female, regardless of age, ask them to buy a box of condoms and have no issues having a conversation with them and buying it in front of them in public. I said, then maybe we'll have that conversation when, you know, when you're ready. I was like, but until then, I was like, your questions come to me. If you have any questions about sex, you come to me. And he was like, not an issue. That's it. He's embarrassed a little bit, but that's, that's the deal. So, Yeah, very, very well said. And just the thought of that, man, that, that is a, a little terrifying to think of, man, just the whole walking up, buying condoms, the whole issue that's about, like I said, I got four of them. My daughter is the last one, thank yeah. God. She's, she's only four, but, I mean, uh, you know, I'm hoping the fact that I, know, I have a couple of uh, Navy SEALs, you know, in, in my phone list here I could call to when I need the help. <laughs> you bet. Yeah, there's, I have two rules in life. I have two, I have two unforgivables in my life. You hurt, hurt animals or hurt children. There's, there's no back, no way back for me. Yeah. Awesome, man. And, uh, and how, we're talking about this with your son. How do you handle discipline with your son? Do you, are you a spanker, a timeout when he was growing up? How did you kind of handle discipline uh, being a Navy SEAL and given your military background? Man. Yeah. Like I was, I, I'm a believer in parochial punishment to an extent, like with purpose, like my parents would, would, would give me uh whoopings, right? But it was it was very much on the emphasis of you get this once as a reminder, the second time is punishment and it won't happen a third kind of thing. So my and, and it's just the way that my father and mother are just super consistent. And and that that's what I learned is when my parents said don't do this, they meant it. And there wasn't, well, little Jeff can do no. Here's the rules you broke them. Here's your punishment. So be consistent is my is my number one rule. Number two, make the punishment something that you can you can stick to as a parent. Because we can get all fired up and go, you're grounded for a month, and you're like, that's just so not reasonable, right? When it's just really, it's like, you know what? This Saturday, when you're supposed to go with your friend, you're not going now, and you're going to help me around the house. That's far more effective. So be consistent. Make your punishments manageable. I did do spankings and those ended very quickly because he was my son was too smart he would just look at me afterwards and he would protest he would turn his shirt inside out with cross his arms and just stare at me he was pretty smart so um now now it's just be consistent and hold him accountable when he makes promises that's that's what he that's what we deal with at 12. All right, yeah, that's great advice right there. And what type of advice would you have for parents out there whose kids are maybe juniors, seniors in high school, and they're telling their parents that they want to pursue a career in either maybe law enforcement or the military? What, what kind of advice or preparation could you give those parents? I would say number point of, number one is, but I, like the rule that I have for my son is, you know, that that the military, the law enforcement, the fire department, whatever it may be, whatever civil servant. That is not a fallback plan, right? You are going to get your education. Um, my, my rule to my son is, is you are going to start college. At that point, that's it. That's it. After that year, you can make a decision, but you are going to do a year of college and make a decision as an adult on your own because at that point, dad's not there anymore. You're on your own. Um, so that's, that's what I tell parents is that, like, be there to support your kids, Right, and also understand that 
if you are adamantly against what your kids want to do and they're adamantly opposed to what you want to do, there's, there's a bigger, there's a bigger issue than what they want to do. So I would say get to know your parents, ask your kids, ask, ask them, they're smart. Why is it you want to do this? And let them have it. If they can't find an answer, keep asking them. You know, I think that why, no matter what they do, but that why is crucial if you're going to be a civil servant. It's, it's imperative, that why. Now discuss that why. And you, you as a parent might find out that it's something we're supporting, or you might do exactly what you are. You know, as a worried parent, their self-discovery, they may start consider, reconsider something else. Get to know their why. Yeah, very cool. Um, all right, well, you've had so much success in your life already with Navy SEAL career in the books. What's next for Jeff Nichols? What kind of goals do you have? What are you working on for the future? My goals. <laughs> wow. Um, you know, I used to have, like, these big ideas in my head of what I wanted to accomplish. And for me, that's uh, that's not even in my head anymore. For me, my, my goals for the immediate future, the next three months, year, is just keep trying to help as many people as I can that are under service, right? Whatever that means for our military, for our law enforcement, for our firefighters. And then, you know, within, I want to develop friendships, real friendships and communities across the country in those departments so I can help them find resources. Like, that's my big thing. I just want to get to know many as good people as I can so I can help them or find people that can help them. That's my goal. Yeah, good stuff. Um, all right, last thing I'm going to hit you with here, Jeff. I'd love to ask all the dads that I get on the podcast, what type of advice do you have for that new dad or for that about-to-be father who's out there listening? I would say that, you know, for, for especially for a, for a new father, there is, if, if you're not afraid, like if you think you shouldn't be afraid, like that's, everyone's super afraid. There's no instruction manual, of course, and that's super cliche, but I can under, you can understand that on a serious note, regardless of where you came from as a child, like whatever your parents were to you, good, bad to you, it doesn't matter. You know, if you, if you look back and you dislike your parents, right, this is an opportunity to break that chain. Right? If you look at your parents like I did and go, man, my parents are, my mother's still alive, my father's passed, I had some amazing parents. This is an opportunity for me as a father to make my parents very proud. So make a choice. Yeah, very well said. Great advice. Uh, this has been an honor for me, uh, Jeff Nichols. i got to say thank you for your service, and thank you for giving me a few minutes of your time on First Class Fatherhood. You bet. You have a wonderful day. Dads, are you tired of taking supplements that never deliver? Well, Redcon One was created to ensure that you get real hardcore products that deliver real results. Trusted by four-time world's strongest man, Brian Shaw, and founded by supplement entrepreneur, Aaron Singerman, Redcon One is crushing the industry. You have to try their MRE bars, which are packed full of nutritious food sources that will replenish your system when you need it most. And they taste so good, your toddler will think they're eating a candy bar. But we're talking whole food meal replacement. And right now, First Class Fatherhood listeners can save 20% on their entire order from Redcon 1. Simply use the promo code FATHER at the checkout. So let's go, dads. For the highest state of readiness, choose Redcon 1. Visit Redcon1.com, use the promo code FATHER, and save 20%.
All right, joining me now is a first-class father. He is a retired Navy SEAL Medal of Honor recipient who has more than 20 years of service with the United States Navy. He has also received the Purple Heart twice, the Bronze Star with Valor five times. It is a tremendous honor for me to say, Ed Byers, welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be on here. All right, let's start here. How many kids do you have? How old are they? Oh, we have we have one daughter. Her name is Hannah. She's uh, 14 years old, just started high school. Wow, okay. Yeah, I have four myself. My oldest is 13. We'll be hitting that high school year next year, so uh, we're, we're, we're bracing for impact on that. You have a lot more on your plate than I do, that's for sure, four kids. My, uh, oh. my sister, my both my sisters have uh, four kids, so oh, yeah, wow. I grew okay. up around a big, big, big family. Yeah, that's awesome. What type of uh, sports or activities is Hannah into? Well, she's a, she's a competitive figure skater, and uh, currently right now she's up in uh, Philadelphia doing uh, the re- regional competitions for for uh, figure skating. So she's been doing that now, going on nine plus years, and we're we're all in and committed on that front. You know, uh, hopefully, God willing, and uh, she keeps keeps going with it and keeps progressing the way she has, and she wants to eventually skate for Team USA and, and go to the Olympics one day. Wow, what an incredible goal that is! Now, do you, are you a skater? Do you ever throw the skates on and get on in the rink there with her? <laughs> I uh, that that would be embarrassing if I did that. <laughs> for, for sure, no. I I realized uh, a couple years into it when she just fell in love with it that. When she could pull me skating backwards faster than I could skate forward, I was like, you know what? Um, there's nothing more I have to teach her <laughs> when it comes to skate, <laughs> skating. I grew up playing pond hockey in Northwest Ohio, but that was about the extent of skating. So nothing formal. And then, you know, as the older you get and uh, – the the harder it becomes to to learn those uh, nuances, especially that's required to do something like figure skating or, or skating in general. So uh, I leave I leave that to her. Yeah, I hear you there. My my middle son is uh, we just got him skating lessons. He just started doing them over the summer, and I, I've never been on skates in my life, so I'm not about to start now. Uh, I get out there every once in a while when she when she begs and pleads with me. I was like, okay, I'll get out there, and then she um, then she just you know laughs at me like a, a good kid should at her at her father. You know, laughs at me on the on the ice, right? And then she you know she's gracious and she tries to teach me a few things here and there, which um, I'm still trying to learn how to do spins. Very, yeah, very all right. Smart. Very cool. All right, Ed, if you could, just take a minute here to hit my listeners with a little bit about your background. Uh, a little bit about me. So i 40 years old, just turned 40. I grew up in northwest Ohio on a farm in uh, Grand Rapids, Ohio, so about an hour south of Michigan. Uh, I joined the military. Well, I joined the military when I was 19. Uh, I always knew from early on that I wanted to be a Navy SEAL. And when I joined, however, 
the rating back then, you had ratings in the Navy, which you still do, but the SEAL community did not have their own rating. So I decided to come in as a hospital corpsman, which is the Army's equivalent of a medic. And I did that simply because, uh, like a good kid, I it's about the one thing I listened to my mother about. <laughs> and she's like, well, if you don't like the military, you know, you can always get out and, and so take a job that you can do something on the outside. So I, I picked medicine uh, initially, but my intent was to be a SEAL all the, from the very get-go. So I had to wait, though, because they were overmanned uh with with hospital corpsman the the seal community was was overmanned and i did my first tour uh pre 911 and a little bit after 911 with second marines uh second battalion so 22 golf company down in camp lejeune and uh shortly after 911 i got my orders to finally go to buds basic underwater demolition seal training and uh, that was my journey to be a SEAL. So from 2000 and early 2002 till uh, this year, I was a SEAL and and uh, did multiple deployments around the world. And in 2016, I was awarded the Medal of Honor for a hostage rescue mission that we conducted to save an American doctor uh, in 2012. So that is, uh, in a nutshell, my military background. Uh, I've been married since 2004. Good thing I got that one right. Or, uh, <laughs> I'd be getting a beating from my uh, my wife <laughs> later. And uh, 2005, we had our uh, our daughter Hannah, and. Shortly after she was born is when I started basically my wartime deployments and did that for the next 10 years of her life. So, uh, like I mentioned earlier, you know, our daughter is a competitive figure skater, and that's uh, what the majority of focus is with my wife, um, besides her going to get her MBA uh, in nonprofits. And... Uh, I am currently transitioning out of the military after 21 years of service and also going to get my uh, business degree and to start my own uh, company and and see where life takes me in the next chapter. Yeah, what an awesome journey that you've had here, Ed, and thank you so much for your service. And you've had some, I would imagine, just some incredible experiences as a Navy SEAL over your career, but well, how did the experience, how, so you, how, about how old were you when you first became a dad then, and how did becoming a dad kind of change your perspective on life? Yeah, so I I first became a father when, uh, in 2005, and that would put me at about, I think I was 25 at the time. So there was a lot of life uh, changes all happening at once. Um, Like I said, I got married the year prior. Um, So shortly after we got married, we got pregnant. And so I got married, bought my first home. We bought our first home. Uh, 
we moved across the country and I checked into my first SEAL team and Hall and had a, had our first kid all in the same year, basically. Uh-huh. So I started my professional career, got married, bought my first home, had a, a kid, and was prepping for my first wartime deployment. We did that all in our first year together as a family. So uh kind of puts things in perspective. You know, any one of those things is a, a, a life changer for a family and can consume, you know, be the, the all-consuming aspect of their life. And we had about four major things happening all at, all at once. Um, but you just put your head down and, and you just get, get after it. How that affected me as a as a, a a man and as a person was it was shocking. We weren't expecting to get pregnant, and it was uh, I don't I've never really told this to anybody just simply because that wasn't a, a form for it to come up. But it was kind of funny when we first got married. Uh, I remember going out to the mailbox and bringing back in the mail and there was something from my wife and I was like, you know, it was one of those, the lots of things on your mind. We just moved in. Like I just mentioned, we had a lot of things going on and I just, I remember looking at the, the, the mailer and it said, you know, my wife's name with my last name. And I was like, who is this Madison buyer person? Because it's that was like the, one of the first times I've seen it with her name on a on a piece of mail or so, and she just looked at me and was like, "What the heck it goes on in your mind?" And I was like, "I've just never seen that." It was a shock to me. It was a shock to see that. Okay, you make that transition, you finally get married. That's the next step in life of like growing up. And then, um, um, oh, and and having much more responsibility now. You you know you're in a partnership and uh, and and and. That you know, a, a full-blown relationship. So, when we got pregnant, and my wife told me that this was shortly after we had just did all these other major things, and I was pretty much in shock. Like, wait, what? That's wasn't ready for this. I'm in my mid twenties. You know, there's way too many things happening. You know, I'm. You know, full blown into my lifelong dream to be a SEAL now as a new guy. There's so many responsibilities coming that and still having to prove yourself and and be a good teammate and just turn off a ma- you know marriage and what's that like and what happened to our honeymoon and you know where, where's our honeymoon period you know like of being able to uh, to be you know the the dink you know the dual income and no kids. Uh, family and and to live life a little bit and and to have some pressure relief from from the realities that we are now in a post 9/11 world and off the war we go for the first time and who knows what's going to turn out from that so um that it was shocking it was pretty shocking to uh to to figure out that I was going to be a dad right away, but I wouldn't have changed anything for the world. It's one of those scenarios that if you keep saying, hey, now is not the right time, now is not the right time, you're going to wake up and it's going to be too late. My father was 53 when he had me, and uh, we didn't have that storied 
family dynamic that you think of a father and a son because by the time I was five, ten, seven, ten years old, you know, he was approaching 60 and he did construction. So it wasn't like we went to baseball games together or anything like that. And so I'm actually very happy that, you know, we had our daughter at the age I did. So now that as I'm transitioning out of the military and she's going to grow up and to be this incredible young woman that I'll be at an age where I can actually go do stuff with her and, and uh, seem like be more connected with her and something I didn't have with my, my father too. So I'm, that part of me is very uh, excited. Yeah, that's cool, Ed. And I'm right there with you. My father had me when he was 50 years old. So my parents were older as well. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, they passed away before I even met my wife and had kids. So that's one of the things. And I had kids fairly young, too. I was 25 when I started having kids. So, um, you know, I'm right there along with you. Now, were you able to be uh, present when your daughter was born or were you on a deployment when that happened? Yeah, I was present. present. So um, that's one thing we do really well in the naval special warfare community is is uh is understanding you know life's already hard enough as it is uh, typically you're gone 300 days a year and uh these are moments in time where you don't ever get back and you can never go back and go you can always do another trip you can always go on a different vacation heck you can always take a di- another honeymoon if that's what was needed if that was messed up, you can never go back and go, I need, I want to be there for the birth of my kid again. So, uh, at least from my experience, uh, which I'm very grateful for, we, we've always made it a point, even in times of adversity and war, that, you know what, there's really nothing that important going on in the world that supersedes not being there for your the birth of your kid because when it's all said and done and if you're lucky enough to make it through it all and survive 20 years down the road you know the military is not going to be there for you that's just a reality but your family your kids are hopefully and to know that you're there to be there for them is that's the most important thing so thankfully i was i was there for that yeah, that's awesome. And and what about as far as when you received the Medal of Honor, was your daughter present? And what was that like to have your family present there when you received the Medal of Honor? Uh, yeah, they they were they were absolutely there. And you know that's in to the today's day and age. And you know, thankfully, it's uh, something that will be forever remembered. You know, it, anyone can look up that ceremony uh, online, and anyone can can sit and watch, you know, the, the, the event if they wanted to. And, you know, I got pictures in the house. It's, I don't care who's in office. I'm impartial to that. It's still the president of the United States. And I respect the position uh, as commander in chief. And, and it's really cool, no matter who that is, uh, that my daughter was able to, to to meet him so so she's now in her life i met both both presidents of 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 her and you know in her life so you know she got to be in the oval office you know with president obama and able to you know take pictures with him and and 
there's a great picture where she's looking up at him because he's just so much taller. And uh, that was a really cool experience. And, you know, he talked about her in his, in this, during the ceremony, um, which is kind of, which is really cool. Um, so to, to have her, you know, acknowledged and, and understand that our kids also carry a tremendous sacrifice and, uh, and burden by being, you know, children of, of the military and, 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 you know, in, in particular, you know, Naval Special Warfare, the SEAL community and, and what that life is like, uh, and to be recognized for that is, is pretty cool, especially by the President of the United States. Yeah, that, that's that's awesome, Ed. And I'm going to include a link in the description of this podcast episode to the video. This way, my listeners can just tap it, get over there, and check out what you're talking about. And did, was there any after the incident, which you did eventually receive the Medal of Honor for? Was there ever any consideration for you to leave the teams, or were you set on having a 20 year career all the way? Uh, well, I was. I was always. My, my vision was. I, I never envisioned doing anything else in my life. So. Uh, as far as I was concerned, I was going to be a SEAL for 30 years and, you know, until they kicked me out type scenario. And uh, you never join the military for for recognition or, or accolades or awards or honors. And at least I, I, I never did that. I, I did it very holistically of I just wanted to be part of the best and, and part of this an incredible community, which I had the privilege of serving alongside the greatest warriors on the face of the planet for, for many, many years. And and so uh, when the operation happened, now that was 2012, you know, you don't know about that you're going to receive something like this at that time. Uh, and so you just went about your business and it was, wasn't until about 2015, late 2015 that I started to get word that this might hap happen. So, you know, anytime you're, uh, the Medal of Honor process takes years of peer reviewed, uh, investigations and in investigations on with peers that were there to, to validate, uh, the actions. So, 2015 when meant I was uh, 2000 getting close to 2016 means I was going on uh, about getting close to 18 years in the certain military. So there was absolutely no way I was going to get out at, at that point. That just ridiculous. And then there was still some talk of the potential of how do you how do you still do your job as a as a CEO being a recipient and the cold hard reality is unfortunately um, you, you don't. So um, there's some unwritten rules about the viability of being able to still continue your job in that capacity. So, um, you know, you, you roll with the, the changing winds and the tides and, and it, became a realization that uh, you're going to have to give up something you fundamentally love um, because you received a unfathomable honor. And and that's just 
there's a, there's a it's bittersweet duality there between between those two, and you just take it as your next mission step, and you know you can sulk on it or you can drive forward and, and realize that you know what it is what it is, and uh, you're grateful for everything you have around you, and maybe you can make a lot of impact and change uh, with this you know, honor that you have and that you normally, that you wouldn't have been able to do without it. So uh, that, that really became the driving force of why I decided to um, uh, get out. Yeah. I think Tommy Norris said it very well when he said um, it, it's harder to wear it than it was to earn it. So I can only imagine, you know, the conflicting uh, points of view and feelings and emotion that go along with receiving something such as the Medal of Honor. Yeah, Tommy. Tommy hits it right nail on the head with that one for sure. Um, wise, wise man, without a doubt. And and uh, yeah, I got it. That before I received it, I got a chance to you know speak with him one on one for quite a long uh, amount of time, and just imparted a lot of knowledge. And you're you're exactly he's exactly right. It's 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 much much harder to to wear it than to earn it because of the, all the complexity that come with it. It's an in, incredible honor, but with incredible honor comes incredible responsibility, and and that uh and it's something that you technically don't ever get to put down. You you're, you're it's part of your your who you are, which becomes part of your DNA for the rest of your life. Yeah, yeah, well said. And let me rein it back in here to you as a father. Uh, I usually like to ask the dads about discipline. Now, I have three boys, then I had the girl, and I definitely disciplined my daughter a lot different than I did, with, uh, you know, do with my boys. What type of disciplinarian are you when it comes to being a dad? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm hard, but, but fair. I would say, I would say that my my wife is the disciplinarian just because they spend so much time together. Uh, I. We have a, an extremely talented daughter, and I know parents say that about our, our kids all the time. Uh, but, you know, she's lived a pretty hard life, you know, not having, you know, your father in the picture as, as much and then understanding that the the complexities of, of, of war that surround that. And so <laughs> both my wife and I wanted to raise a child a woman, uh, nonetheless, to someone that can take care of themselves um, and and understand that you know, unfortunately, you know, you're not going to have any brothers and sisters in this world, and uh, you need to be confident in who you are and self-reliant and disciplined, and you have to work hard because nothing in life is ever given to you, and. If you want to achieve your dreams, you have to sacrifice, period. And that means that uh, that means you there's a, a balance between you know being tough and hard and also having being able to let loose and have fun and enjoy the small smaller things in life, you know. So it's it's uh, the discipline piece is is unique because. She chose a sport that requires tremendous discipline, and it's a lonely sport. It's a solo sport, 
um, here. You're constantly uh, the center of attention in sport, which means you're constantly being judged on every little thing you do. There's no hiding in the shadows like in the team sport where there might be a little gray area to get some relief. It's it's you, you either sink or swim. And uh, and so I, you just try to instill some of the values that I've learned over the years of um, what it takes to be an elite. Uh, an elite. So uh, in the teams, it's always like, you know, team gear, your gear, then yourself. And that's the order of which you take care of things and and because that's always uh, focused towards the team and and trying to un- make her understand that even though you do a solo sport, you're, you still are part of a team. There's a team of people around you that are your support structure that uh, are trying to give you all the tools uh, or as many tools as possible to help you succeed, but it's always incumbent upon you as the as the child or the or the athlete that it's um, you're the one ultimately responsible of utilizing those tools to to if that's what you want to do in life and and so uh I would say I'm a little bit more of the jokester i have a i have a much more lighthearted personality, and maybe that is because of years of of war you have to have some sort of uh you know relief but at the same time you you know being uh, stern and hard and, and that there's realities in the world that need to be taught. Uh, and so it's it's a balance back and forth. And thankfully, she still loves to run and give me hugs and, you know, sit on my lap and we can just hang out together all the time. And she hasn't got into pushing me away yet, away yet which I think is a, a win so far. And, and hopefully that never changes. Yeah, I'm right there with you on that, Ed. And I can only imagine how nerve-wracking it must be to watch her in competition and how much, you know, as the competition, you know, eventually progresses here, how much more it will be to be sitting in the stands there watching her go through this. So um, I, I think she has the right the right dad for the job there with that. Yeah, it, it, that that part's really on her mother. She does an awesome job of uh, of, of balancing all that. And, um, you know, it's... It's it is it, it's truly exciting though to see your your kid or, or kids you know doing something they love. We don't we don't push it on her. We always tell her, hey, you know, if you you see through what it is you want to do, but like say at the end of the year you don't want to do it anymore, that's on you. But it's just no, we love and support you no matter what. You're here, but here are some realities that if you want to do this, you are. You know that you have to make some sacrifices and be disciplined and and work extremely hard. Yeah, very well said. Do you, do you ever get in there with uh, braiding the hair or doing the hair? I know I've gotten as far as the ponytail. That's the extent of me. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't do that at all. No, that's not that's not <laughs> my lane. I I I stay in my lane. I, I can be a good teammate as well as a good team leader. <laughs> and uh, my. Being a good teammate means I don't I don't I don't mess with that. Sometimes I brush her hair, but that's about that's about it. <laughs> okay, good enough. Well, well you've had a you know obviously a, a tremendous career here in the SEAL teams. Uh, what kind of goals or plans do you have now for yourself for the future, Ed? 
you know, my, my, my number one goal is, is really just to make up for a lot of lost time uh, with my family, particularly my daughter, and, and to be a, a, more of a staple in, in her life. I still travel a lot for work. I mean, there obviously is a continuous necessity to provide for your family. So um, it's, it's no secret that uh, living two decades uh, as on a, on a government paycheck doesn't really uh, pad the bank account for for uh, retirement and or, you know, saving for college or anything like that. So there's some, uh, some ground to make up there, which, you know, you gotta, you gotta work hard for that too. So, but it really is my goal to be more involved and be around in a manner like, which I didn't have the opportunity uh, when you do the job that done for, you know, two decades. So that's a priority one. Second one is um, really focusing back on you know relationships you know those that have faded away and by the, by the nature of the job again and building out a business uh, and ultimately a business that can really uh, help pay it forward by hiring veterans and and those who have sacrificed so much and give them extremely good paying jobs and and uh purpose again so many that, that, because there's so many veterans out there that uh lose their ways and you know the purpose falls away because they try to compare it to the purpose of serving your country and and just the what 911 meant to us as a nation and so uh, there's a lots of struggles with that so being able to scale out a a corporation that can really, uh, you know, highlight the values and characteristics that are acquired by uh, by being in the military and a veteran and and provide um, jobs and, and support structures through that, which will ultimately lead into a, a charitable organization that focuses uh, on some gaps with that are that are out there with current uh, VSOs, veteran services, for service organizations. So um, that's the, the long, long-term long goals and and just continuously being a, you know, a, a father to my daughter and being there in whatever manner she needs. Yeah, that's awesome, and it's great to see that you, you'll be involved. I've had so many other veterans that are that are on the show here that are helping other veterans transition. There's been since 9/11. There's been so much sacrifice by so many men and women, uh, and and I can assure you that my, me and my family we don't take our freedom for granted here, and we are very thankful for everything that has been done, uh, you know, on behalf of of all the the you know citizens of America here by you and your teammates there. So uh, again, I want to say thank you for your service. And where can my listeners get in touch with you if they're looking to follow you? Well, thanks. Thanks for saying that. Uh, well, I, I just started uh, as a recipient. I, you know, I, there's a, a commitment to the to the nation to share a little bit about what what we do as recipients and and just a little bit of of uh, my life. So I just started my Instagram account. Uh, you can follow me at Frogman, F R O G M A N M O H. V I 
Frogman, M-O-H-V-I. And uh, I post on there about uh, various things we do around the country. And uh, there's, there's actually quite a bit of posts of, of uh, me and my daughter, too. So if uh, you're curious about, you know, what she does uh, in her life and uh, the accomplishments she's already have at 14, uh, you can you can follow us there. Yeah, that's awesome, Ed. And the last thing I want to hit you with here, Ed, uh, I love to ask all the dads that I get on the podcast, what type of advice do you have for that new father or for that about-to-be dad who's out there listening? Don't be too hard on yourself. I mean, there, there's a reason why there's thousands of books on parenting. At the end of the day, there's some great advice, you know, but every scenario is unique. Every family dynamic is unique. Just be there, be loving, be supporting. Um, if you have a great, good foundation and who you are, use those values to, to teach your kids that. And and outside of that is you don't have to get wrapped in the weeds of, you know, being being so hard that everything needs to be perfect because that's just not reality. And and just just be there, be there and and learn how to effectively communicate with your child. And and I think the the greatest reward out of that is when. Uh, you know, you can you can get 15 years down the road, and your your children still want to talk to you. They still want to share with you. They want to be a a part of you, and they're not you know head down and and electronics or try to do everything they can to uh, avoid avoid you. Because you know, frankly, that's what that's kind of the way I was growing up. You know, I didn't have that super close relationship with my father until I was an adult and in the military. And then it really uh, became much closer. So I didn't really read a whole lot of parenting books. There wasn't time for that. I just tried to be me and, and just be there for my kid in the way that she needed it. Yeah. Very well said. I love the message. This has been an extreme high honor for me. I got to say, Ed Byers, you're a first-class father, and thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time on first-class fatherhood. Well, thanks, Alec. I appreciate the opportunity. Welcome back to First Class Fatherhood. Today's interview is being brought to you by NFW Watches. Please go over to nfwonline.com and use my promo code FATHER at the checkout. You're going to save 15% off your entire order. You're going to get free shipping inside the United States. And $50 of every order is going to go directly towards Honor Flight, which is helping our World War II veterans. Get over to nfwonline.com. Use the promo code FATHER. All right, and joining me now are First Class Parents. He is a former Navy SEAL whose best-selling book, Lone Survivor, was turned into a blockbuster movie with the same title, detailing his account of a deadly SEAL team operation. He is a Navy Cross and Purple Heart recipient. He joins me today with his wife, Melanie, from the great state of Texas. It is a big honor for me to say Melanie and Marcus Luttrell. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Thank you. Thank you. All right, let's get this started here. How many kids do you guys have, and how old are they? Three. One is fixing to be 21 years old, and then he's a, he's a junior at LSU. We have one that's seven and one that is six. 
Very cool. What type of um, sports or activities are they into? Hunter, the oldest, did football and baseball all through growing up. Now that he's in college, he actually plays on their club baseball team. He's state champion his uh, senior year in high school. He's a he's a heck of a player. Um, and Axe and Addie, the little ones, are not in organized sports yet. Um, but that's mainly because of our schedule, not because of them. Well, at this age right now, I was waiting for Axe to turn seven, and this is where I start introducing him to. Because I don't even need that. I mean, I, I want them to have a childhood and play and, and, and do all that before I kind of come in their life and, and start pushing them in or helping them in the directions with the discipline and everything. So we've introduced them to jiu-jitsu and baseball and basketball and tennis and golf and bowling and uh, pool and swimming and pretty much everything. And then once they kind of find an interest in something and, and point in the direction they want to go, then we'll start. Yeah, that's awesome because I've had my kids in these organized sports leagues as young as four years of age, and it kind of really just simulates the way I played when I was a kid. We played more in the street or in the neighborhood without referees and coaches and all that. We kind of had to handle the uh, problem-solving aspects uh, of the games in a sense, whereas today I think these organized sports, they kind of take that opportunity away from the kids. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and, that, and that's kind of why we held off. I mean, it is you, you, you find your niche with your friends, and if you kind of get put into something – in the beginning that your parents push you in and you don't, and you don't like it, you kind of get that impression that all of it's like that, and that's not how we want to do it. So once they, you know, you make them want it and, and kind of crave it and ask for it, and then once they start showing the interest in it, then you then you kind of give uh, lead them down that path. Yeah. Okay, Melanie, please hit my listeners with a little bit about your background and what you do. Oh, gosh. Um, that's a loaded question. That is, man. That's hard to answer. I... Um, <laughs> I basically manage Marcus's schedule and um, pretty much everything that he does from an umbrella standpoint. I don't do the day-to-day details, but I um, kind of operate as his manager. Um, I also am my family manager. I have a big family, um, my dad and my sisters, and I – we have a big ranch, and I manage all of that. So I have, I wear many, many, many hats. Okay, on top of managing everything that falls underneath my umbrella, not managing it, she's just the wife, and she's the boss, and she's kind of over all the other managers. Not only that, she's a full-time, I mean, she's a, a, an amazing wife, a mother of three. She has five sisters. All of them are on their own path in college, and kind of, and she does something with each one of them. On top of that, she runs the part of the family business, and, and that in itself is global, okay? And then she helps get uh, uh, people elected into public office, including, you know, up to working on the president's campaign, congressman. I mean, she just, she she has multiple hats that that, um, that she wears, and it's just, it's, it's almost impossible to put it all into uh, perspective. I like politics. I like local politics, and I do... Um fundraising and I just help with campaigns and stuff like that. Very cool. All right. I want to get your guys' perspective here because I talk about this all the time on the podcast. It feels like, to me at least, in this country, there's an attack on family life, on family values, through our pop culture, through the way uh, dads and family life is portrayed on TV and in the movies. Uh, So I think it's important for, especially the young men, but just for, for the younger generation to hear from successful people, from well-known people, uh, you know, how good and how awesome fatherhood and family life truly is. So let me start with you here, Melanie. How did becoming a mom kind of change your perspective on life? 
Well, I became a mom at 19 years old. So I've been a mom my whole adult life, and I don't know anything other than that. Um, So I was a single mom for a long time, and that was obviously hard, but it it brings you really close to your child. So um, when I met Marcus, uh, I was very thankful that he embraced Hunter as his own, and Hunter loves him um, like like their blood. So it's it's been a blessing for me. I know every family situation is not like that, um, but our family dynamic has worked really well. Yeah, it's so cool that you were able to do that, Marcus, too, because there, there are so many kids growing up in this country without a father figure in their lives, and, and the stats are really stacked against them. Uh, There's definitely a fatherless uh, household problem in the country. But, uh, Marcus, you have been all around the world. You've been to hell and back. You've been through so many different evolutions in your life. How did becoming a father kind of change your perspective on life? It was the best thing ever. My brother and I always had an arrangement. For the first 40 years, we were married to the SEAL teams, to our country, and to everybody involved with that. And then at 40, we would retire, stop, and shift and go in a completely different direction, either go into whatever we want to do if we, you know, kind of start looking for our wives. Uh, I got lucky. I met Melanie on a blind date, and uh, I asked her, you know, she left that night. I was like, that's the last time you'll ever leave anywhere without me. I showed up the next day at her house with everything I owned was in a bag. I walked in and never left. And and the first time Hunter came walking out of his room, I remember looking down. I was like, I didn't even really know about him. I was like, hey, what's up, buddy? Because that's a big deal to walk into another bull's pasture. Let's be real about that. But I kind of knelt down. Hey, look, it's going to go one of two ways, man. And it went, you know, the the famous way. I I, I still remember being a kid and growing up and what that was like and making those mistakes. And anything and everything that I learned in the SEAL teams is dedicated now to being a husband and a, a father. And making mistakes is part of it. And realizing that you made them is part of it, too, and that life is going to be difficult in any kind of capacity. And as the father, I have the ability, plus my background, to put pressure on my kids to see how they react in certain uh, situations. And then I have the ability to pull it off of them. And that in itself trains them because when you go out into the real life, I mean, you know, we train our kids to get dressed you know, and tend to brush our teeth and talk and everything like that. But most people won't train them to defend themselves. They won't train them what to look out for because they're scared of it themselves. And all our children are is the next version of us. I mean, it's the better version. You, you meet the woman in your dreams. You create something that's, that's twice as powerful as you ever were, and, but all the doors are shut. And as they go through life, it's just you going through life in, a, in, in the new version, and you, you kind of want to see where it goes and, and what, in what capacity you, you uh, maintain a little bit of your old self or if, if you're completely brand new. And as you go through life, you want to kind of train yourself in every situation so that when you do have the next version of yourself, you can be there trained. I would never beat up myself. I would never, you know, talk down to myself. And that's what our kids are. It's our next version. I mean, you got to look at them like that young version. And when you were young, you made mistakes. And, you you know, you still believe in magic. And that's that's part of it, too. And, and um, you know, we raised our kids with, with faith and, the, you know, Jesus Christ is Lord. And, and we, we love each other in every capacity. And when they make mistakes, I mean, the thing about our generation, Gen X, man, is we're just so hardcore that, you know, we're, we're like stunt parents, right? I mean, we see our kids do something, like, oh, that's cool, but check this out, right? I mean, we have, we have the X teams. Our, our warriors have been fighting for 20 years. You know, our women are Gen X. I mean, they're just, just hardcore. And, and our kids have this technology today, and all the video games and movies that they watch are basically our lives playing out in front of them. 
And, uh, you know, every time they get a chance to, to, to step into it, we're just like, no, we'll do it. You know, it, and, and that's okay. I mean, it, every generation's different. Our generation, I remember the things they said about us, it was bad. Same thing they say about the millennials, but that's what it's all about. You know? It's just uh, going through life and learning as much as you can so you can pass it down. Very well said, and I'm a faith-based person myself, so I love to hear you mention Christ in there. God is under attack in this country as well. Uh, let me ask you guys about discipline. Who is more of the disciplinarian in your home, and how do you guys kind of handle it? I think I'm more of the disciplinarian um, just because I've been doing it for so much longer. Um, I'm a spanker for sure. Uh, I don't beat, and I I have ground rules with my spanking, Um I, I give warnings, and if their third time is a charm, and uh, there's a spanking coming on that third time, I always spank on the behind, never anywhere else. You know, like I've got my structure of spanking, and it seems to work. I agree with you, Melanie, and I, and I like what you said there too, because there is a major difference between spanking a child and beating a child, and I think up until a certain point, uh, you know, spanking is very effective. I don't believe in screaming or yelling or humiliating. When parents do that, it drives me absolutely crazy because it's counterproductive. It, it, that's just hurting the child. They think, oh, well, I'm not spanking him. I'm not touching him. Well, by, by humiliating him or screaming at him in front of somebody, that's not helping them either. So I, I think one of our biggest problems today with, you know, kids just going crazy um and there's lots of issues that are happening today that weren't happening when we were kids but i think a huge part of it is the lack of discipline and lack of structured discipline yeah you make a great point there melanie and, and as parents it is difficult to watch our kids fail or to get hurt and but i i mean i understand that failure is is a part of growth uh, but this whole every kid gets a trophy philosophy i think does a lot more harm than it does good so I mean, how do you, uh, Marcus, how do you kind of respond when your kids fail or, or, or get hurt? And um, maybe a, a word about discipline as well. Well, look, man, the trophies at that age are a gift to your children because when you congratulate them with words, they don't understand that. They still get presents. I mean, they, they, they see what's going on and they can hear you, but they don't understand it. And even when they're on their own, the way they learn their lessons and what really not to do is when they, get, when they feel pain. And, you know, the butt has some extra padding back there to apply a little pressure and if, if you don't, if you don't do that to them, okay, if you don't, what do you want to do? Keep them safe or secure? You want to hinder them, right? Because you're going to experience pain in life. And when you get out of sports and out of school, there are no more written tests. There are no more trophies. There's the good times and the bad times. And if, and if you're not paying attention to the good ones, your bad times are going to just light you up. And it's incumbent upon parents. I mean, who do you want to show it to them? All right, who do you want to discipline? The most dangerous thing on this planet is an undisciplined human mind. You just want a, you just want a grown-up baby, somebody who thinks they're still in seventh grade and deserve a present for every time they do something good, or do you want to say, hey, look, man, uh, look, right now you do something, and we're all we're, we're playing this event. We're going to give you a trophy to reward those who work the hardest. And as you, as you progress in age and in life, those trophies go away, and it comes into diplomas, and then into money, and then into cars, and and everything that you know that we that we like to give ourselves. But if you put them in the mindset that all they have to do is compete or show up, then there's, that only happens in a small percentage of, of, of the world's population. So, I mean, if you just want them to live in that town for the rest of their life and be the, the kid who got the trophy in junior high or high school, well, that's cool too. But the minute they step out of that and they go into reality, even if every kid around 
got a trophy growing up and then they get into the opportunity to where the trophy doesn't exist and it's just who does the best work, then it'll it'll weed themselves out. So where do you want your kid to fall in that? Because it doesn't matter how much we protect them. Eventually we're going to die or be gone and they're going to move away. And if, if they're not ready to handle a little pressure, like say, I don't know, I didn't, I didn't get first place, so I didn't get a trophy, and they don't have a meltdown, what are they going to do when they don't get a job or when they lose their job? I mean, you, we've actually done that to them. It's, you know, parents, it, it, we're, the, we're the teachers. We have to do that. Everyone, that whole trophy, and, I, you know, they'll just figure it out. They'll be good. You know, everything's fine. I don't want to mess with them. I don't want, I don't want, I don't want to hurt their feelings or hurt their life. Uh, because, you know, I'll just wait till they get out of the house and let that happen every day of their life. Well, that would be like giving an A to everyone who shows up at class. You don't. I mean, you're graded based off of your work. Yeah, that's a great analogy, Melanie. Uh, Very well said. That's how you have to learn, or else we turn into the society like we're turning into where so the children's suicide rate is so high right now that it's, it's scary. And... And you end up with people like uh, Ocasio-Cortez, I mean, that wants to give everybody everything without working for it. Like, you have to have – there's – life is a progression, and you have to learn how to, you know, to move through those ropes or else you're going to fail at life. I mean, anything that you receive in life that is free, somebody – I mean, somebody has to have – in order, to, in order to receive anything, it has to be built, right? It has to be developed. And in order for that to happen, somebody has to do it, and they have to get paid to do it. Or, or they're, 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 I mean, that's just the way this kind of works, right? So in, in any – oh, most, most importantly, anything you get free, you don't respect it at all, period. I mean, I, that's, just, that's just the way it is. And it, what happens eventually, if you get undisciplined and then uneducated, then you become somebody else. Somebody else tells you how everything's supposed to be instead of being able to figure it out for yourselves. Yeah, and I believe the only things that we do get for free in life are given to us by our Creator. We didn't do anything to earn the right to see or to hear or or to taste. Uh, Those are blessings that are given to us, and I think we need to be more thankful, more grateful for them. But everything else, we have to earn or create for ourselves in life, but definitely need to be more thankful for the blessings we get. Yeah. Well, that's how you know things are good. I mean, in order to – if you really want to know how good things are in the country, see what people are complaining about. And if it's food, water, shelter, somebody killing them, uh, no clothes, no education, you know, that kind of thing, then uh, everything else is, like I said, a blessing. Yeah, right on. Uh, All right, let me ask you guys about guns. It's always a hot-button issue. And and Hollywood, for some reason, who can't seem to make even a superhero movie without gun violence, usually has the biggest mouth in the conversation when it comes to gun control. But uh, let me start with you, Melanie. How do you feel about guns, gun safety, and what is a good age to introduce guns to kids? Well, I grew up around guns. I've been a hunter since I was a young girl. I grew up with a single dad, so I'm probably not the best person to ask on that because I'm biased. Um, But I was always taught as a child, as a young girl, to respect the gun. And my dad had guns around the house, but he taught me over and over and over to never touch the gun. And I didn't. And so when I had children, even before I met Marcus, I had guns in the home as a single mom, and I taught my son to never touch the gun, and he didn't. It's kind of like that, um, Taya, Kyle, and I have talked about this before, and when 
when you're kid, a kid and you've got uh, your mom has a, a nice glass bowl on the dining room table, like a china or something, or a crystal bowl, and she says, don't touch it, don't touch it, don't touch it, and repeats herself so many times that you know you don't touch that damn bowl. And it's the same thing with a gun. If they're familiar with it and they know not to mess with it, and you also have to know your children and trust your children that, I mean, there are some kids that don't listen. So in that case, you have to always have your guns completely secure and never allow guns around your child. Or if you've got children that behave and that respect your word and you know that they won't mess up, then it's okay. Like I have a shotgun leaning up against my headboard. Now there's not a shell in the chamber, can't go off. My safety is on. I have safety precautions around it. I'm not stupid, but it, it is visible. Now I know for a fact my kids won't touch that gun because we have gone over it multiple, multiple, multiple times, and they don't do it. Um, And we've got video cameras in the room. So it's just one of those things that you have to teach gun safety before you have guns around. And it has to be something that's not forbidden and secretive where they're going to want to play around with the gun. Um, Make it a common thing. Like Marcus, before his uh taken his guns apart obviously there's no ammunition in the guns or anything but he's had axe you know help him clean it and so axe is familiar this is only something that you're around when daddy's around and i mean he's seven years old so we're okay with that because it's a common subject in our family home it's not the forbidden fruit you know that that yeah. they can't touch. Exactly. And, and with that being said, man, any, if they're old enough to, to, to pick something up and to understand, to, to manipulate it, then that's, they're old enough to start, you know, teaching them with that. And it's basically like sex, okay? I mean, it, you teach our kids everything there is about sex, what kind of kids are going to come out of it, and there ain't nothing more dangerous than a loaded uh, teenage boy, right? <laughs> and, 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 you know, I, look, I don't keep snakes and, 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 and all these dangerous things. I don't keep them around the house, but they're around, okay? So in order for my kids to survive out in the world, I train them in every capacity. And because we do keep firearms here, I do train them in, in – look, Navy SEAL is the most important thing in our life is safety, all right? I can manipulate that thing as well as we can because of how safe we are with it. And then if, anywhere and everywhere your kid goes, if there's something out there that they're going to run into and you don't train them for it, somebody else will. Okay, and if everybody in the room around is kids and they see a gun and they're all trained, they're not supposed to touch it, then they won't. All right, and if you, if you tra- and any and anything and everything that they're going to run into in life, if you do not prepare them for it, somebody else will. And it, and and that's a lot of times how the most when most kids get hurt, it's because they haven't had gun safety. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. our police use it. We we use it for. I mean, as we progress as a society, we get more sophisticated in the cities. Something that used to be commonplace becomes well, we don't do it here, and then we don't talk about it here, and now it's just forbidden. And that's kind of how it is with firearms. Uh, you know, even out in the country, we have them around because not, we don't use them for safety, but we use them for hunting, for, for food, for protection, uh, for, for animals, to protect our own animals, you know, all across the board. I mean, and, and it's, it's one of those deals where this country is protected by all of that, and I know people hate to hear that, and I'm, I'm all about gun safety because I have gun safety running out of my ears, okay? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I really do, and I mean <laughs> – it's just, uh, um, it's, 
it should be in the capacity that you teach your kids about dangerous things or things that they will encounter in life as they progress. One being, you know, we will teach you how to dress and go to school. Then as you uh, down the line, we'll teach you how to drive, and then we'll teach you, you know, hey, when you start going through puberty, you guys are going to be chasing each other like crazy, okay? Here's the safety precautions you use in case you run into a loaded teenage boy, okay, or vice versa. You know, your teenagers are like, hey, man, I need you to settle down. You, 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 this is what's going to be happening, these hormones, blah, 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 and it's all the, the variables that run into each individual are the same capacity when you run into a somebody who's not trained with a weapon system in, uh, in the house or out of it. First of all, you can't blame – anybody who blames an inanimate object for something, I mean, if you literally are persecuting an inanimate object that can't activate itself without a human being behind it, then you don't want to look at the, what's really going on. Okay, that, no weapon can hurt anybody unless somebody's behind it. And that goes back to when your kids need to be disciplined. And, I mean, that, and that, that stems like if you don't do it, then if there is no – if no one disciplines them, then you're going to have around a bunch of undisciplined adults, and then who knows how to run anything? Well, you know, my dad used to say this back in the day. Maybe that would work. Or, you know, I mean, or it's like, hey, I did this, actually. You know, and I, I mean, I, I know it's old hat, but I still teach my kids how to find, you know, start a fire, build a tent, and, you know, in any case, you know, change a tire, anything and everything that they have would have to do like we had to do before tech. That's the beautiful part about our generation, man, is we're a little bit of the old and a little bit of the new. So we're the kind of the last generation we can teach that old school stuff, you know, basic survival skills without without a, without a battery. Because any. Anything with a battery can shut down. I think the biggest, the short answer to that is gun safety. Gun safety, gun safety, gun safety. Always talk about it. Always be open about it. Hey, and I know people, and I love them very much, but they don't have anything to do with it. They don't want to touch that. And I'm like, hey, good. We need people like that, too, because there's people like me who have to use it to protect you, okay? And then my children will be trained and understand what their father did. I wouldn't keep that from them. I mean, because then that would make me look like somebody bad. Why did why, well, if if dad did it and it's bad, then he must be bad. Well, that's not, that's not it. I was using it to protect everybody else, man. It's just pe- bad people do bad things with that. It's, it boils down to that sin you carry. I mean, if you have wrath inside of you like I do, you can either use that wrath to protect people from wrath or you can become wrath and hurt people with it. And yeah. it has that a sin inside of us, man. And if you, if you get into it and manipulate, or not manipulate, but if you abuse it, then, man, you're going down the bad road. But if you understand what you are in the beginning and you have people around you who have already been through that gauntlet, then they can walk you through it, and that's what you're doing. We're walking you through life, man. I'm like, I'm not teaching you to use a gun in a bad way. I'm teaching you gun safety in case somebody bad gets a hold of this thing. Yeah, I have a perfect example, and I don't want to, you know, harp on the gun subject, but my mom's brother was nine years old at a friend's house where the friend was not, they never talked about guns. The dad uh, left a gun out and a rifle out, and the kids were in the house by themselves, and the little kid grabbed the gun and accidentally shot my mom's brother. Wow. He was nine years old, and he died. And it's absolutely terrible. It's a terrible situation. This kid was curious. He he surely didn't mean to kill his best friend, um, but the parents never talked to him about the gun. It was just something that was forbidden. You know, don't don't touch it, dad's gun. You know that kind of mentality. Not teaching the safety mechanisms and the consequences and everything of a gun. 
Now, my mom, as a grown woman, is ter- she grew up terrified of guns. So a few years ago, we were talking, and she said she went out and bought her first handgun for, for home protection. And I flipped out because I knew that my mom has never had any gun safety training. And I said, Mom, do you know how to shoot the gun? She said, no. And I said, well, then having a gun in your home is worse than than not having it and someone coming in because you're not going to know what to do with it. You can shoot yourself, shoot a family member, or the person breaking into your home is going to end up grabbing it from you and shooting you with it. You cannot have a gun in your home if you are not 100% comfortable with that gun and all of the safety that goes around it. And that I'm very, very big on that is just gun safety through and through. If you're going to go get a gun and you don't have a Navy SEAL as a husband or, you know, someone in the military in your family or whatever, a big hunter in the family, go get lessons. Go, I, teach, I host a women's shooting camp every year, and it's all about gun safety. And I'm just a huge advocate on that, that you don't, not everyone needs a gun. If you're not comfortable with it, don't have it. Or if you want to get comfortable with it, go take lessons before you buy one. All right. And, and here's the biggest thing with that. All right. And everybody throws this over on us because we carry guns. Look, any, any responsible hunter I know, anybody who I hang out with, anybody and everybody I run around, hunters, I mean, we all have the safety classes, and they all we all make us take each other's safety classes so that we'll know that we're safe. I, the people who are like, you don't need a safety class, you just go get me. Those are, man, those do not speak for all of us. Okay? Yeah, those, those are the people you don't want to go fight. <laughs> I, <don't, laughs> you know, I, mean, I don't even know who. I mean, when I hear that, when people throw that on us, I'm like, you don't want gun laws? I'm like, who the hell says that? I mean, I, I have to go through so much gun training, and I mean, I still have to do it. And anytime I purchase a weapon, I have to go through the whole gambit of it, and I should. Just, yeah, I mean, what, I mean, I, because of how I'm trained, you need to know what, what you know, and, and, if, and if you're going to keep a log of how well I'm trained, why would you not keep a log of somebody who doesn't know what they're doing? And, uh, you know, don't don't pay attention to people trying to stir up all that crap saying that we hate each other because of our color and everything. Man, our generation, gen, man, we, that's gone at all, man. I mean, we, we, we had to grow up and fight a war for 20 years with each other, all right? So you can't tell me that we can't come together and that we can't make things work. It's the people who walk up and say, well, I don't want to do anything. I'm not going to talk to you. I don't even care what you have to say. Those people need to get pushed and either figure something out or get away from the collective uh, of the rest of us because we're trying to make this thing work. It's Boil it down, man. We're a family. There's no ruling parties in America. The best part about our country is you can be born with no last name, no nothing, and still become a king. All right, we don't call it that. We call it president. You can become a king of the most powerful nation and wield the most powerful sword the earth has ever known, okay, and be a nobody, a literal nobody. And we switch that, and then everybody underneath the president, I mean, look at our aunts, uncles, and then look at our sports franchises as the counts and dukes and duchesses and stuff like that. It's a family environment. You have to treat it that way all the way down to our kids and train them what they're going to run into in the house. 
Yeah, I agree with you guys. You make some great points. I try to stay away from the political aspects of all this stuff because there, there's so much hatred and so much anger involved with all of it. Uh, I think as fathers, as parents, we all want the same thing for our kids. We want them to be happy. We want them to have some success. And I think if we just step back and look at the big picture here, we would quickly realize that we're, we're all after the same thing here and we all have a lot more in common than we ever knew. Oh, well, let me tell you something. That's the greatest part about Melianized Life is the people that we interact with, and it's all across the board. So, I mean, I truly know that everybody can get along with everybody because I get along with the people famously who, who, who are always throwing jazz at each other. And it's just a bickering thing. If you boil it down to it, man, it's just a bickering. It's literally a bickering thing. We could, if we could, cover, if we could figure anything out together, right? And it's kind of we, – we stall ourselves because we like to argue back and forth. And it, and it all goes around, man, where we were raised and kind of how we're brought up. I mean, when I first time I went to New York, I thought everyone was yelling at me. I didn't know that that's actually <laughs> how they talk and communicate, and that's, they, that's how they show their love. You know, down south, man, we just, it's kind of just different, man. And once you figure that out, man, New York City, man, those people are magnificent. I mean, I have so many friends up there. I love those people more than anything. You can't tell me that we can't. I've been in every state, every city, every just visiting town to town, talking to any and everybody I could to, just to see for myself, man. And I made friends all over this place. And I talk to them on a regular basis, man, even the ones that don't get along with TV. And I just sit back and I'd be like, man, if you guys knew how much you had in common, you, you kind of squash all this and you figure out which, which side is what and then cut it down because you can't be happy all the time. That's not how life works anyways, man. And, you know, the younger generations are always complaining. And that's what younger generations do. Older generations are setting their ways. So they're setting their ways. And the in-between, we, we kind of make everything work. And at no point in time should we ever hate each other, uh, draw an arm to each other, or, you know, hurt each other in, in any capacity. I mean, just think about it. I mean, we're one, if we're one big family, if you, you send your kids out next door, man, and tell me, I mean, you, you want to know that they run into people who would care for them as much as you do, not hurt them because they, they didn't know something that you knew at a given time and thought a certain way. I mean, information goes by so fast, man, literally – Two kids, you get educated in two different things in a matter of a second just because of what they're looking at on their phone, man. And you, you just got to take a step back and just like, hey, whoa, man, take a breath, man. You guys are arguing about some dumb stuff. I mean, we all, all of us sitting back at our homes watching the TV, when you look at it, man, you're like, man, you guys are just arguing over dumb stuff. I can't even believe that three people on this planet, in our country have, this, have our government shut down. Three people have our government shut down. That is unbelievable to me. Yeah, and I have faith that the light will overcome the darkness here. And with this technology now, you can learn new skills quicker. You can educate yourself in almost any subject. Uh, the problem is, is that there is so much poison available through these smartphones and these devices, which can really do significant damage to a young mindset. So how do you guys kind of handle technology time or video game time with your kids? We allow our kids to play video games. We limit the time that they spend on it. And obviously, they can't play you know, every game. Um, as far as phones, Axe has an old iPhone that's disabled. Uh, the Wi-Fi is disabled. He can just play games on it when he's at home or if we go to a restaurant or something, but he can't carry it to school or anything like that. Um, it's usually for plane rides, traveling, that kind of stuff. But it's basically like an iPad in the shape of an iPhone because it's disabled. I mean, think about it. It's got, look, same, same way with us. It's, it, it was, it's a reward to have that stuff. We're blessed we have land and we have a lot of stuff to do. Like, we have to work out here. So they, they, they have access to that. And, and, and if you keep that stuff from them, then, then they're going to be behind. And, and then their friends, they're going to be talking about with their friends, right? they got to play. you got to – I mean, that's, 
that's what kids do these days. Everybody's like, oh, I'm going to give my kid. I'm like, well, what are you going to give them then? Because that's what, every, you know, that's how it, that's how this thing works. Everything in moderation. And that, that's the way it applies to everything. You see them getting burned out on something, then you take it away from them. And if you, and that's the way it was with us. If we, if they, we messed up. They took away uh, our car keys. Before that, it was whatever it is we had, right? And every generation is different, but just everything around us is different. The training aspect of it, like, in the, it should be the same. Like, I got to discipline my kid. I got to watch out for him because there's predators out there at any given time to snatch in there. And the minute I, I don't think that that can happen, I'm probably um, I'm not doing my my uh, kids justice, right? I'm, I'm I'm doing a disservice to them. As a matter of fact, how I got to learn got to know Hunter is I went and bought a video game for the first time ever. I didn't I hadn't played since Nintendo, right? Since we were kids with uh, Super Mario, which is a fantastic <laughs> game, by the way. And uh, uh, I went upstairs and we started playing. And Mel, I'll never forget this. Melly came walking up. She's like, "Have you guys been up here this whole time?" I was like, "Yeah, why? What happened?" She's like, "You've been up here for nine hours." I was like, "What?" You know, I mean, we, I just got sucked into these games. are amazing. I mean, they're like three-dimensional. It's not like the stuff was just a sideways screen with us. Yeah. Or some crap like that. I mean, bro, you, I can see how you can get into it because I, I did. And so for the holidays, every time I come up to college, we play this game uh, uh, together. All the boys go in there, and we just kind of hash it out. It, it, it's fun, man. It's a reward. So if it, And that's how you turn it into, man. If, you, if they spend too much time on it then, it, then they won't appreciate it and they get burned out. So, I, and I, I mean – and this is the part that babbles me. Like, this is when the parents are like, "No, you can't play with that," and they start complaining. Like, you get your feelings hurt. I'm like, oh. so that's it. That, that's why you let them go back and burn out on that game is just because you got your feelings. You're a grown ass, you know, you're a human adult parent. Okay, I know what they want to hear, and it, you know, then you need to just think about that. All right, just think about it. And the best part about it is when you when you actually hear your parent, your father or your mother in your head while you're saying that. I was like, now I know why they said that, and they said that I would say this when I said this, you know, that kind of thing. And it's just, it's hilarious. I mean, and, and never forget that. Like, hey, you're at an age in your life where you have to take the responsibility. They're at the age in their life when they're screwing up. And if you, if you, if you don't, it's basically like climbing the corporate ladder and then you get to your job and you don't want to do it. Like the CEO, right, or the boss. Like, nah, I'm just going to let the kids figure out how to run a company. They'll be all right. <laughs> no other environment does that, does, will that be applicable or be even – you know, st- no one would stand for that, but you're going to do it in your home with your kids. Uh, come on, man. Think about it. Yeah, listen, hey, we use that Fortnite as a form of currency in this house. That that, that game is taken over. Right. Our uh, seven-year-old loves Fortnite. And it's, I mean, he truly enjoys playing. So why take something away that's pure joy for him? We don't make him, we don't let him play it all the time. Hey, look, man, I, I watch him and I watch them and the hand-eye coordination with all the buttons and how fast they're working. I mean, and you can read a book and, and, but I was kind of, I learned if I'm reading a book, I'm just reading it. But if I could see it and use my hands in it and build something and, 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 and I mean, that's working the mind. But just like with anything, you wouldn't sit there and read a book forever and ever and ever. You take a break, right? And as kids, they don't have that break in them yet. They don't understand that part. So, you know, be a parent. I mean, be a parent, okay? Yeah, very good. Okay, Marcus, one thing I have to ask you, I listened to that 911 tape of you chasing the guy that shot your dog. I couldn't believe how calm you sounded throughout that entire high-speed chase. Uh, do you have that same kind of calmness when you're driving, like, a long-distance ride with the kids and they start driving you crazy? Because that, that's a tough one for a lot of parents. Well, let me say something. After everything that I've been through, I mean, I, I learned lessons from my good and my bad. Like, a bad, a bad, something bad that happens to me doesn't hurt me mentally. I take, I take from it. And uh, 
I mean, if you see me freaking out, if some kids could freak me out after everything that I've been through, then I mean, come on. So, I mean, I, I that that was the beautiful thing about what I did for a living and everything that I had to go through is is I don't get freaked out when they're you know when they bust and they're bleeding or or something happens. Like when Melanie, everybody comes up to me, I that as not only as the the parent, the father, and everything that I've been through. I mean, I I keep the the calm. I keep the peace around here. That's my job. I do all my all I do around here is protection and enforcement. Melly runs the show, man. I do what I'm told, and I protect and enforce everything. And then anything in between, I mean, if you know if it makes it past Melly and makes it to me, then I handle it, and that's it. That's probably one of my best qualities too: is remaining calm. Things don't rile me up. So car rides aren't hard for us because um, we're both really chill. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Uh, we're in the new year here. What type of uh, goals or plans do you guys have uh, coming up for this year and, and, and for the future? I'm trying to go keto hard <laughs> and this family's not a hundred percent on board. Um, <laughs> we'll get it done. I would try to you know, make sure that we live every single day. Like it was uh, like we wouldn't get it back. And, um, we then we we literally cherish every day around here and have the best time sun up sun down and uh, even even the hard times we go through we go through them together and uh, each year is just a blessing. I turned forty this year, so it's a rough one for me. Okay, yeah, I'm only a couple of years from forty myself, so um, I hear you on that. Uh, all right, last thing I'm going to hit you guys with here. I'd love to ask all the parents that I have on the podcast. Let me begin with you, Melanie. What type of advice could you give to that new mom or to that about-to-be parent who's out there listening? Um, my advice to new parents is to stay calm. <laughs> There's going to be things that freak you out. I was a new parent at a very young age, and I – I reacted on emotion and not out of uh, practicality, I guess. So, and take advice from other parents. I mean, I remember being 19 years old and not, you know, when I would lay Hunter down to go to sleep and as soon as he hit the crib, he'd start crying. So I'd take him back up and I felt like I couldn't put him back down so he was going to start crying. So I didn't sleep at all because I was walking around rocking a baby, um, where when I was older, I learned you put the baby down and you walk out of the room. So what if they cry? It's going to be okay. And it just took a 13 year gap for me to learn that. But, um, take advice from other parents, stay calm. Your baby's going to be fine and stick together as parents and always help each other out. Great advice. Uh, Marcus. Oh yeah. No, I mean, my, one of my favorite commercials I, I've seen is when the uh, you got the, the the young the couple and, and the baby got 20 minutes. You want to go? And so they go into the bedroom to fool around. And then after the baby, they've had a couple of kids. They're like, "Hey, we got 20 minutes. You want to go?" And the dude's got the CPAC machine on, passed it on top of the covers, and she's she's passed out too because they're so worn out from having the kids. Right? I mean, everything literally changes in that moment. And never forget, babies are tough. They're resilient. I I, I remember when we had access. I walked in the house with, I'll never forget this. I had him in that carrier. I didn't even know how to put him in the baby seat. I mean, I, and I looked at Melanie, she was walking upstairs. She, she just, just, I watched her give birth to my children. I was like, women are the toughest thing I've ever seen in my entire life, man. And I know pain. And, and I was sitting there with him and I was like, all right, buddy, we're going to get through this together, man. And I remember I would, 
clean everything. I mean, just crazy. And put it in the microwave, make sure it's sterilized. And plant for the second kids or kids, people just like it falls on the ground, take it off, spit on it, put it in their mouth. Like, hey, die. And I've never run across a parent that didn't didn't. It's a progression. And no matter what seasoned parents tell a new parent, you are still going to default to your own parenting regulations of what you see and what you learn. It is trial and error, okay? It, it truly is, man. And no matter what, as the as the father, realize that that woman, what she just went through and carried that baby and, and did all that, man. So I had diaper duty, whatever, you know, whatever I could do, man. I, I, and this, the sleepless nights, yeah, those exist, man. Just get used to them. I mean, you'll get into the zone, kind of going through hell. He says that, but he also told me that he was going to have night duty because he doesn't sleep well at night. And the first night we were home. All right, this happened one time. Okay. I'll, oh, no. It happened every night. The first <laughs> night that we were home, the first time Ax started crying, I look over at Marcus, and his eyes immediately shut tight. <laughs> and I'm like, that. Sorry. Okay, okay, so at that age, man, the guy always, you know. He pretended to be sleeping. Well, I mean, you know, <laughs> kid's hungry. I can't really help you with that, okay? That's what the mother can't He can't pretended to be sleeping. He could have rubbed my back while I was feeding him. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I love that because we always had a rule in our house when they were babies, uh, you know, if you wake them, you shake them. You know, you got to get them back to sleep. Oh, yeah, yeah. it's kind of like finding the, uh, you know, the dog nest on the ground. Whoever finds it, you got to clean it up. You got the baby up. But hey, uh, I mean, just know that as a, you know, people have been doing parenting stuff and being, been parents since the beginning. Okay. And before they had hospitals and, and all that stuff and just have a great time with it. And it does go by fast. I, I noticed that man. And that before, and they are so much, I mean, when they get to that age, like six and seven, when they look at, and they get their own person personalities, that's when you figure out when you're not cool anymore. As soon as your kids know the difference between cool and uncool, you're not cool anymore. And you're old and busted and all that stuff. And that's that's a great – that actually has to happen for you to go through the transitional period of being able to enforce the rules on your kids. Because in the beginning, you're like, you know, they think, you know, you're cool and they want to hang out. And as soon as they go, hey, you're not cool, they're like, oh, check this out. If I'm not cool, check out this rule and this new chore, all right? You know what I mean? It's like, all right, you're gonna, I'll, I'll act like a parent if I have to. And then, you know, ask around. Ask for advice. And don't ever be ashamed or to not know anything. And don't ever be embarrassed to, to adopt something that somebody else did, does, you know, for their and, – And don't be ashamed to ask for help, for babysitting, from family or whatever. I truly believe that a mother's sanity is through breaks. And I see a lot of new moms that feel guilty for going to get their hair done or – leaving the baby to go to the grocery store by herself. Moms need that. Take breaks. Get away by yourself. Yeah, that's why you keep your family around. That's why, you you know, your mother and your grandparents, and they, that, I mean, you keep all of them around close to you, and they're a wealth of knowledge, and they love watching the kids so you can have the break. And, I mean, we, we keep everybody around us at any given time, you know. I mean, and – they pass their kids off to us, and it just kind of works. And then the kids hang out together, and they're they're being raised together as a family. And they just it's a you know it's a wealth of knowledge for them in in itself. Yeah, very well said. I love the advice. This has truly been an honor for me, guys. So I have to say thank you so much, Melanie and Marcus Latrell, for giving me a few minutes of your time right here on First Class Fatherhood. Thanks. Oh, great. Yeah, you appreciate it, brother. Thanks, man. All right, I'll be right back after a quick spot. Okay. 
Hey dads, are you looking to boost your energy level? Strikeforce Energy has got you covered. With a Strikeforce Energy Packet, you can turn any beverage into an energy drink. Their original energy packets contain no sugar, no calories, just an explosion of energy and flavor added to any beverage. Strikeforce Energy is veteran-owned, and all their products are made right here in the United States. Co-founded by Navy SEAL Sean Matson, Strikeforce Energy blows away the energy drink competition. Right now, first-class fatherhood listeners can save... 15% off their purchase by visiting StrikeForceEnergy.com and using the promo code FATHERHOOD. Strikeforce Energy turns any beverage into an energy drink. Get yours today. StrikeForceEnergy.com, promo code FATHERHOOD. Uh, joining me now, First Class Father, Eddie Penny. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. All right, let's start here. How many kids do you have and how old are they? I have three children. I have a 19-year-old daughter. She's married now, uh, and I have a 15-year-old daughter. Yes, 15-year-old, so that brings its own complications into everything. And then I have a 9-year-old son. Okay, yeah, I have four kids myself, and I'm, my oldest is just about to be a teenager, so we're, we're bracing for impact over here as well. Yeah, <laughs> put on the pads. <laughs> um, what kind of sports or activities are they into? Uh, my 15-year-old, she's into track and cross-country right now, and then my son just, we just completed basketball, and we're about to start up soccer for him, so this will be his first season doing soccer, so he's pretty amped up for that one. All right, do you get in there and coach any of the teams, or do you like to enjoy it more from the sideline? More from the sidelines, just being the, kind of a single parent and, not, and you know, running a couple companies, it's kind of difficult. I did do a year... Uh, where I coached my son's t-ball a couple years back. So that was definitely fun. Uh, but, like, with basketball, I don't know a lot about basketball, so I, I think I'd look more like a fool than anything else if I try to take on that responsibility. Yeah, good enough. Um, all right, Eddie, please, take, take a minute here just to hit my listeners with a little bit about your background and what you do. Okay, got you. Uh, started off uh, in the military, just retired from the military, did four years in the Marines, and then uh, switched over to the Navy where I did 16 with the SEAL teams, uh, retired in 2016, uh, started a company contingent group, so I do that now, and then obviously a full-time father, which is which is the real job and, and blessing, I guess you could say. So uh, that's what I do now. Yeah, very cool. When did fatherhood first come into the picture for you, Eddie, and how did becoming a dad kind of change your perspective on life? Um, I mean, obviously, I was a father when, you know, when my children were born, but I really was not a father, like, full-time and then really didn't grasp it until I got custody of my children in, I think it was 2000 in, 2008 or 2009, I believe it was. And that's uh, – actually, it was 2009. And then – but I just kind of got three children, uh, you know, different. I think my oldest daughter was nine, middle daughter was five, and then my son was eight or nine months when I got him. Uh, so it was just like, you know, from going from oper operating as a Navy SEAL and then getting getting all these children, I mean, just like total wow. Uh, I remember before if I had to watch the kids for like an hour or two alone on like a Saturday, I thought that was the biggest deal in the world. Like that was me bracing for impact. And now I hear my buddies say that. I'm like, you enjoy that? You love that? You like don't complain about that? Like that's it's nothing when you have them full time and you got to – deal with all the sports and all the, the boy issues or girl issues or whatever is going on at their school. So, uh, yeah, that was like when it really came on full force and I had a totally different perspective on parenthood. I had so much more respect for single mothers, single fathers. I was just blown away. It was definitely 
the most eye-opening experience I have ever had um, over any deployment, over anything whatsoever. That was definitely the pinnacle for me of like, wow, okay, all right, got you. I need to be a man here. So that was that would be it. Yeah, talk about a, a dichotomy there, right? Going from one extreme to the other of, of being involved with the teams and that, and then coming to parenthood, man. That's a, oh, that's absolutely. A, um, and, and Eddie, you grew up uh, with a single parent uh, as well, correct? Yes, yeah, so my mother pretty much raised me. I still had my father was still a big influence in my life uh, a lot. He was actually my hero, uh, but it was you know it was the classic fifty-fifty or somewhat you know I guess what they call it in the court system. But I would see him once a week for dinner. Or a few hours we'd do stuff, and then every other weekend I would hang out with him, and he would fill me with football and uh, war movies. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and I already asked too because I, I really feel like one of the biggest problems we're facing in the country is a fatherless problem, uh, and a lot of kids growing up in a single parent household. Not to say that they can't be successful or find success, but the overwhelming statistics are, are really against them. And I know I just from listening to you on on, on Mike's podcast there that. Uh, a high majority of Navy SEALs come from single-parent homes. And did, did the military kind of uh, – did you find kind of like father figures in the military? Or do you think like for a lot of these SEALs, if they didn't find the military, that the results for their lives could have been uh, very disastrous? Um, I, yeah, I definitely I, – I wouldn't say like – obviously nothing will ever replace my father, uh, obviously. But, um, but that's not the case for all people. Yeah, I think like, you know, you, you find like a mentor in the military and, you know, they're – They've been there, done that, and like a mentorship. I mean, I've got, you know, people that I look up in the military still and still keep in contact with that um, that I kind of, like, kind of, I wouldn't say take my dad's role, but I kind of look up them, too, as a father, like, yes, yes, sir, no, sir, um, I should do this, I shouldn't do this, uh, thank you for showing me this, um, and I and I kind of look them at in that. Uh, but I, I think the big thing that I see, that at least that I realized was, is that, we take it for we take it for granted. I guess there was just this this picture painted back when that you know mom stays with the kids, dads go out and work, and they come home and hang out. But like I, like, and the only reason why I say this is I realized that this was me. This is what I did. Is that you know I'd come home or I'd, I'd eat dinner, you know, watch TV or just relax from the day. And I thought like oh that's this is what you do. You come home and relax. And that's that's not the case. That's that's not true. It doesn't matter. If you're at work and you come home, you have got to engage in those children's lives. And, and that's what hit me hard. It's like I have not been doing this for years and years and years. And I, like, I, was, I was very shameful. I, I was very down on myself. I'm like, wow, I can't believe I've been missing out on all these kids, like what are going on in their lives. I wasn't like diving into their lives, sitting down and asking, like, hey, how was your day? They'd be like, oh, fine. And then, and that would be it. I'd be like, okay, all right. I just had a communication with my daughter. Her day was fine. Okay, now it's like, okay, why was it fine? Like, what happened? Give me a highlight. Give me, give me a bullet points. What happened today? So, and then like, you know, it kind of goes in from there. So, and I, and I feel, I think that, I think that's very common. And I, and it's, and it's not okay that I see. And again, I was, I was the victim of this. So I can say this now. <laughs> Yeah, and, and the way I put it, a lot of times I talk on the podcast, Eddie, about how it feels like there's kind of an attack on fatherhood and on family life through our pop culture, the way dads are portrayed on TV and in the media. Dads have definitely evolved from that era where dad just came home from work and, and then, uh, you know, he didn't really participate in changing the diaper or getting involved in any aspects of homework and stuff. We've changed a lot. Most of the dads I have on the podcast here, 
you know, they're very active dads with their kids, and, and most of them are against this entire every kid deserves a trophy philosophy that's kind of poisoning, I think, our culture a little bit, especially with this whole attack on masculinity. And it's, uh, you know, I think that the, the narrative of fathers needs to change big time. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And, and it definitely is. Um, you know, even when we have, like, you know, uh, women coming into the workforce, men need to kind of be, like, coming into the fatherhood, like, the fatherhood role. And one thing that I realized is, and, um, you know, I've got a lot of good friends that are very good examples of this that I look up to, is, uh, you know, we're teaching these kids. Like, it's our responsibility to teach them. We can't, like, oh, the school system will take care of it. I mean, there's so many crazy influences, both good and bad. I know we always like to concentrate on bad, but there's there's both that, you know, kids are influenced in school and sports. But we need to take our experience and take the time and, you know, you know, if there's an on-the-spot lesson learned here, like, hey, and, like, sit down right there and talk to your kid, like, hey, we don't talk to people like this, and here's why. We don't we don't act like this, and here's why. I think um, that's one thing that I found out, and again um, from from other from watching other dads, people that I respect, and like you know mentors, like hey, help me out on this fatherhood piece because I have no clue what I'm doing at this moment. It's just seeing that um, is huge, and just those little one to two minute conversations for me um, over the last couple of years it has been tremendous. Like I can just and, and I just hear my kids, I can just hear them say it's like. I mean, we were sitting down at the dinner table the other day, and my son was like, we started eating, and I was just, I was thinking about work or something, and my son's like, hey, we need, we need to pray first, and I was like, ah, yes, thank you. You're right, Tristan, we do need to pray first, so it was good to see stuff like that, just like them calling me out, and I, like, I appreciate that, and so, um, you know, you got to feed into them positively, and they're going to give it back to you, which is great. Yeah, and I think what you said there, too, is very important because I think that's another one of the biggest problems we're facing here is that God has been removed from our school systems. It's been removed from so much of our pop culture. I know that you're a follower of Christ. I keep God first in my life as well. When did uh, you become so strong with your faith? Was it during a specific uh, combat situation, or did it happen after your deployment? When, when did your faith in, in Christ sort of get strengthened? It, um, it happened after my deployments. I was still in. It was probably, I think I was 32 or 33 years old. Um, I went to, uh, like, a Christian boot camp by True North Ministries out of Oklahoma, a great organization. And, uh, I, and I was kind of forced there by my girlfriend at the time. It was kind of like, a, hey, you really need to go to this. You really need to go to this. Like, hey, you're going to this. So um, I didn't know, I really didn't know what it was. Um, and when I showed up and, you know, I, I, I briefly touched on this on the on the podcast with uh, Mike, it was, it was just an eye-opener. I've never prayed before, um, and, I, and, I, and I gave it all, and, I, and what I found after that was just amazing. And, of course, like, it was just the classic, um, okay, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, but I didn't realize the war that really goes on in the unseen world. Like, I just really started reading a lot, learning about sports, spiritual warfare, and really diving in. And just learning it's a process. It's not, it just it keeps going and you keep evolving and you keep getting stronger and stronger through trials and, you know, your endurance builds. And, um, yes, like, without that in my life, I'm pretty sure I would be, I just don't even know, I don't even want to go where I think I would be without Christ in my life and in my children's life. And it's definitely the foundation, or we try to keep it our foundation always and everything we do is put him first and, when we do, just, you know, with my family, work, everything, it doesn't matter what it is. It seems to be it always goes in the right direction, um, even though, as you know, like, you're like, why is this happening? Why is this happening? It's just like, okay, lean on him. 
lean on him. There's a bigger picture, um, you know, behind the scenes that we don't see. And that's kind of, it's kind of cool. Cause like, it's like dad's got us covered. Uh, so I love that. I'm like, I don't know what's going on, dad, but, uh, I know you got me. <laughs> so yeah, I, I love that passage. Yeah. I forget the actual scripture number where he says, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is here and tomorrow be thrown into the oven, what makes you think he won't clothe you, you of little faith? Exactly. Exactly. And it's tough uh, sometimes. It's of course. Tough. Yeah, definitely. It's definitely a battle. And you said your girlfriend brought you there. How was it, being a single dad, how were you kind of with introducing your kids to other girls or girlfriends or, or other women that have been in your life? Uh, well, I was seeing her before I got my children, and then when that happened, I was like, okay, I need to, like, do everything I can to try to keep her, which which did not happen in the end. But, um, yeah, I just – I was very – I was like – my life, I was like – in my head, and, of course, I realized this is the devil and it's all his little lies and – like, your life is ruined. I mean, there was when I got my children, I was like, I'll never be able to work out again. Like, how silly is that? Like, <laughs> hey, there's babies, there's babysitting services at the gym. You know, it's like, ugh. Um, I, w- I mean, it was a very rough time in my life. Um, but, yeah, come to find out, women like a man that can take care of children or take care of a family, which makes so much sense because men like that, too. We like that when women like, oh, okay, yeah, she can take care of a family. She's there. Like, that's. So I, I, I guess uh, everything that I thought was totally opposite of what the reality is. So I guess there, there's your spiritual worker right there. So, yeah, I think um, so, many, so, so many young guys, especially today, I drive Uber on the weekends, and I hear it from so many of the young guys that are like, you know, they have this negative outlook on what fatherhood is all about and how their life is going to come to an end and the world is over once you have kids and a family, and it's, it's hard to sad? turn that around. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's horrible. I, I was the same way. I, I mean, I was a victim of that too, but it's, it's not. It is like... The life that is in this house, like my kids go with their mother on the summer, um, most of the summer um, for to see her. And like when they're gone, I mean, it's nice to have a break. It's like, okay, cool. I can do what I want. After a day, I'm like, all right, this sucks. The house is quiet. Where are my kids? Where's the life that is here? Like I miss, I just miss it. So it's just, yeah, they bring so much life and joy. It's insane. It's insane yeah, what they what they bring. And it's crazy, too, how there's billions of fathers on the planet, but you can't, you can't really explain it. It's not something you can explain to somebody. It's definitely something you have to experience to really grasp. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, it's, 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 the, greatest, it's the greatest thing in the world, hands down. Like, there is nothing better. All right, well, I've got to ask you this. Now, you said you have a daughter that's married. You have a 15-year-old daughter. How is the Navy SEAL when it comes to uh, your daughters hitting the dating scene? What, what, how do you kind of handle one of those situations? <laughs> um. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, there's been, I mean, there's definitely been, uh, I, I don't know what my daughters tell these, these boys or whatever. Um, I have a very, my, my oldest daughter's married. I have a very good relationship with him. He's an awesome man. He takes care of her. Uh, and like, I mean, he, I tr- try to treat him like a son. Like he is, he's awesome. But my, my 50 year old's like, I don't want you, like, sometimes it's like, I don't want them to meet you. And then sometimes they want, them to meet me, so it just kind of depends on the boy, but um, when I do meet him, there's definitely the look in their eyes, and I can tell my daughters have said things to them, and they're just kind of like standing there, uh, and some, some, some interact, and they're totally cool, and some are just got the deer in the headlight looks, but, uh, but I'm, I'm, again, I'm a, I'm a big teddy bear, you know, unless you cross the line, then, then there's problems, but... Uh, <laughs> Um, but no, I mean, it's just, it's just, it is what it is. I mean, we've all been there. I mean, I was there like meeting, you know, the father, you're scared. It doesn't matter what you do or whatever. It's just, it's scary. It's like, uh, yeah, I want to date your daughter. Um, please say yes. (laughs) 
Yeah, well, my, my daughter's only four years old. I already dread them days, and I'm, I'm hoping the fact that I've uh, spoken with a few SEALs will help me out when the time comes, let alone be one, you know? Yeah, just give us a call. We'll, we'll be there to do whatever. <laughs> uh, what about discipline, Eddie? I mean, obviously, Marine, Navy SEAL, you're, you're obviously very well disciplined yourself, but how are you as a disciplinarian when it comes to being a dad? I, you know, when I first got the kids, I was more like, okay, punishment. Like, it, like when, for me, if I talked back when I was a child, I got soap in the mouth, or I would get a paddle or like a spanking or something like that. So I found that each child reacts differently to different punishments. Like one is, will react like um, we'll learn a lesson if they go to the corner or if they get soap in the mouth. But now I really, I really don't have to do that. And I haven't for a couple of years now is I really just have a conversation and like, Hey, this is why we don't do this. And I explain the consequences or here's, here's what can happen if you continue this um, and try to like apply it with life. And I, I really don't, I wouldn't say I don't need to discipline my children. Now it's just like, Hey, I take your iPad or, Fortnite's gone, and it's like, okay, sorry, sorry. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I, I mean, really, I, I really try. It's not like, okay, you, you know, go to the, go to the corner or like go clean your room or here's a chore. Like it's it's more like, okay, sit down, let's talk about this. Where before it's like, go here's your punishment, and that was it. Like that is no way to father. That is no way to parent. That is no way to teach or be a leader for your family. So now it's there is a discussion. It goes on, and now I give them the option, like, what do you think What do you think your punishment should be, and why do you think that? So now there's a discussion. So now we're making a two-way conversation, and it's very, it's very effective, uh, at least with my children. Um, it's just, and, and plus, I'm communicating, and, and through that, I find out more information about what's going on. Because a lot of times, you know, when people are acting out, and I mean, even with us as adults, you know, I could act out on a buddy, and this really has nothing to do with that. It could be like a um, a relationship over here that's going on, or some work issue. You know, we just take it out on whoever might be uh, in our in our in our front view at the time. But so so yeah, I, I find out so much more when I just sit down, like, okay, why are you doing this? What's going on? And then we just have that conversation, and they're like, okay, what do you think your punishment should be for this? And and I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of this. I'm like finding grace so much. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna grant you grace for this. Because I'm just looking at those eyes, I'm like, okay, I'm such a sucker. But um, but I, but that that like that's been working a lot lately. So I know I just jumped around to about five different things, but uh, it just depends on the situation, I guess. Yeah, and you, you mentioned they're taking away the iPads and stuff. I mean, right now, one of the big problems with a lot of dads, myself included, is battling with this technology, Fortnite, and things like that. How are you with the social media? Like with your 15 year old, do you allow her to have social media accounts? Do you kind of monitor monitor her accounts? How does that work with you? Yeah, I do. I like, she has a, she doesn't have a face. My 15 year old, she, she has a, um, Instagram. Obviously I got a password to her phone and then I've got to connect it to her account to my phone. So whatever happens, I can see what's going on. Uh, I still do spot like random checks. Um, sometimes those checks prove not to be good. And then when that happens, we pull out the old flip phone and it's very embarrassing for her and she hates it, but it's very effective. So. Uh, yeah, I do those checks, monitor them. Um, I have, you know, certain settings on there that she can't go to certain things. But, yeah, that, that's, a, that's a problem. It's like technology. It's a blessing and a curse, right? seems like with everything else in this, in this world. But, um, yeah, I, I definitely do spot checks. And sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's not so good what I find. So, it's, I mean, it's a battle for us all. It's not like 
oh, I got it all figured out over there. No, no, I don't. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> Figuring yeah, it out it's, day it's, by day. It's definitely a struggle. And like you said, good and bad. Uh, like I said, I drive Uber on the weekends. And it, one of the most encouraging things about this generation is that they, they're not drinking and driving anywhere near the way that I did when we were their age. Right. And uh, yep. it, th- that, that part of it is, is, is very encouraging to see. But it's like on the flip side, when they do get in the car, uh, they don't talk to one another. The communication skills has definitely um, uh, broken down a bit amongst this younger generation here. Yeah, it's it's kind of like what, what emoji you send kind of tells what you're feeling. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's very strange. And, and I'm guilty of it too. I, I love the emojis; they're so cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've adapted as well. You got to stay with the times here. Um, well, one thing I did want to ask you about because we were talking about the, the fatherless uh, problem, and, and I know that um, so many of the guys that you've served with, uh, teammates and friends, that they've died leaving behind children. How do you, have, from what you've seen, how does the community of SEALs or the military kind of uh, help out or assist in having somebody be there in the lives of those children? There's a lot of foundations that hold, um, that have like certain events for those, for those children and uh, widows. And, um, and I know a lot of buddies check in on them and see how they're going. And, you know, that's, I mean, back to technology, it's good to like have Instagram and Facebook and whatever other platforms are out there just to see what's going on, like get pictures of them. Uh, obviously reaching out on certain days, you know, on Memorial days, it's not the, the greatest day to reach out because I know they're getting bombarded, but it's good just to see and just kind of check up on them. And sometimes, you know, they reach out for like, Hey, I need help with this or what, you know, give me some advice on this, especially with me being a, a dad. I mean, I, I got a different view on, uh, on that piece and probably a lot of other people, uh, just because of the situation, but I mean, it's, it's, it sucks. Like, it, it's like, you know, you, you see a picture, um, and it's like, man, like, I wish your dad was here. It's just like, it hits you every, every time, like without fail, you know, I see a picture of my buddies that, you know, that passed away. It's like, oh, it's just like, just that split second, it hurts. And it's just like, okay, you got to like kind of process it and accept it. And like, it's, it's done. You know, what's done is done. And just like, you just want them to be, you know, want them. You know, want the widows to find another man that's going to step into that and fill that void, or um, you know, step in and be that good father figure. But uh, yeah, it's it's a constant concern. I think about it often. I probably should do. I should be better at reaching out to people. Um, but I mean, it's it's hard for. I know it's hard for us too because you're like, ugh, like what is what is this going to do on the flip side if I reach out? Is it going to you know stir up emotions? Do they want this? You know, so it's 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 a it's a game on both sides. You know, it's a very very volatile situation. Yeah, there's been so much sacrifice from you guys, from the whole military. I really do honor and respect so much the men and women of our military, and I know that we wouldn't stand a chance if it wasn't for you guys. So, I mean, we, uh, we appreciate that. Thank you very much. Yeah, it, it, it's awesome. Uh, listen, you, you've accomplished so much in your life already. You've been around the world. What kind of goals do you have for yourself at the moment? What's coming up next for Eddie Penny? Uh, just uh, building the family. Um, so, you know, got got a new girlfriend, and we're going to just – try to build that together and see what happens and um, build companies and just, I mean, just really just try to build an empire and just something great for, for my kids to leave stuff for them and just really just enjoy life. You know, I just enjoy life. I don't want to be stressed out. I want to be just enjoying my children, eventually enjoying my children's children's and just uh, travel and just, just enjoy life and just, you know, and not stress and just, what comes comes, you know, so that's, 
that's that's the goal right there, right now. <laughs> yeah, very cool. All right, last thing I'm going to hit you with here, Eddie. I love to ask all the dads that I get on the podcast, what type of advice could you give to that new father or to that about-to-be dad who's out there listening? My number one thing would be engage. Engage, engage. Be there, be there as much as you can. Um, as uncomfortable and as much as we sometimes, and I, I know this is sad that we don't think like, oh, they can, they can handle it. Just be there. Just try to get into that child's life. Develop that relationship where they want to come talk to you. Because I've been on both sides where, you know, my daughter doesn't want to come talk to me. And, I, and it's like, oh, why don't they want to talk to me? And it's, and it's you. It's you because you're not approachable. So, um, you know, be approachable. Be able to um, – and just empathize with them. Just listen and give them positive feedback. And, I mean, honestly, bring Christ into the situation. Every time you do that, it, it's just it, it always changes. When you put God first, it's, it's, it's always without fail – always going to work out better than you trying to go out on your own. So that would be my number one thing right there. Yeah, yeah well said. I, I love that message. Uh, you are a first-class father. i got to say, Eddie Penny, thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time on First Class Fatherhood. Thank you very much for having me. I had a great time. Tall as a tree, and a soft feeling so.